Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bad End Podcast, episode 113. That's 113. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Joshua Calixto. What it do? Uh, we are gathered on this holy of, of holy of Sundays uh, to talk about our Lord and Savior, Elden Ring. And George uh, R.R. Martin. The Grim X Miyazaki joint coming to you live from the electronic section at Walmart, the next biggest cultural games touchstone milestone. We are a video game podcast and we usually talk about a lot of different video games, but on this episode, we're going to talk it's about Elden, Elden Ring. Ring episode. It's, a, it's, a, it's Elden, Elden, Elden Ring is here, man. I'm already tired of saying the phrase Elden Ring. It is the worst name for perhaps one of the best games of all time. And I'm, we're going to get into that. Uh, I, Josh, I think I, that you okay, share, wait, 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 I think you share some similar uh, things. Let's back but, up here. Let's okay, back up. Okay. Demons, souls. Yeah. Darks. Like these dark souls is not a very good name for a video game either. It's not, but something about, so I, I think like something about the name Elden Ring feels worse. I think in part because it feels like it's trying to be a thing. Like an, El, like an Elden Ring feels like, what you read about in like B tier fantasy. Oh, seek the Elden Ring. And everyone's like, yeah, no one's darks. Demon souls doesn't like make English grammatical sense. And dark Souls sounds like worse than Elden Ring, but somehow they're so mm. bad. They kind of, be, it, it's like the name Xerox or something, you know, it's just kind of, it became, I forgot what the name of these words are. It became a thing that just means the thing itself. Whereas like Elden Ring is like, could you, George, George, could you have not done that one? Could you have just not? Yeah. So, I mean, do you want to start by like talking yeah, let's about talk, what okay, Elden okay, Ring okay. is? For people who don't know. So the game Elden Ring came out now a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago. Yeah, uh, just over a week. This is the latest game from the acclaimed game studio from software who uh most notably made dark souls uh dark souls 2 demon souls dark souls 3 bloodborne sekiro and now elden ring uh elden ring is in a similar lineage it is a souls like game and all the souls games as well as sekiro to a degree and definitely bloodborne sort of share a uh how do you say uh a ludo relationship with each other. They all play very similarly. They're notoriously difficult games to play. And this is the latest game in that series. Uh, this game is notable, not just because it's a souls game, which is a big deal. These games are, I'll probably get into this too. These games are really hard. So they typically tend to inspire a kind of like very fervent fan base. Um, but the game is a big deal because it's the first sort of like open world Souls game, which again, we can talk about that a little more because I think that is actually a contentious statement. Um, and then the kind of big press beat for this that has basically been totally lost, <laughs> I would say, outside of like the first marketing beat was that none other than George R.R. R. Martin, Mr. Song of Ice and Fire himself, Mr. Winter is coming. Uh, I never saw more than like the first three episodes of the first season of the show, so I don't actually know how many other good references I can pull Mr. Red Wedding. I know that's a thing. Uh, he contributed to the story for this game. 
Um, I think this is funny in part because the souls games, I think have never actually suffered for having bad stories. I think they've all been generally pretty cool and weird. So the idea that they had to like tap a good writer to, I mean, good writer, a, it's a notable writer in general to like write a story <laughs> is strange, especially because they've like, they've proved time and time again, they're good at telling dark fantasy stories. Uh, so I'm not really sure what Georgie ours is bringing to the table, but anyways, the big deal with this game is that, Hey, it's a souls game. It's open world. Um, George R. R. Martin wrote the story and that's like, that's where they get you at the start. Um, so if that sounds like something you're interested in, uh, maybe check out Elden Ring, but also worth noting. So we're also talking about this, not just because like we're both fans of souls games. Um, but I don't know if you saw this, Josh, but the word on the street and the sales charts is that this is one of the bi biggest video game releases of all time. Like, I think it's, it's the biggest release. It's some insane number. Like it's like the third biggest game release of all time. Like there was like something like 750,000 concurrent players on steam, which was like the number four or five top most played game of all time on steam in terms of concurrent players. Like game is big, like big, big. Um, so we're talking about it for that reason, but also it's like very weird that this game is so big. Cause these are, this is a weird game, um, for a lot of reasons okay, that so we if can you, go into. Let's just, let me, let's rewind a little bit. A couple things take me which back. I think will, will dive us a little bit deeper into conversation here. First off, you talked about how this is, you know, souls is critically acclaimed, but I, the more I play this game, I, I guess like starting out to play this game, every time I pick up a new FromSoft game, I kind of realize the extent to which this is this is the most influential video game and or video game series of yeah. the last couple decades. Like yeah. hands down, far and away. We talk about souls on pretty much every episode of this <laughs> podcast. Everyone talks like it it's its legacy is it's impossible to underestimate yeah. the legacy of this series. So the fact that they are taking it in a new direction and making it open world theoretically is a big deal. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that there is a lot to talk about here because, oh God, I, but it, it's hard to know where <laughs> to start. I think like, I mean, the way, the way you can kind of like slice it is I think like on its face. So I, I think like getting like the base stuff out of the way, right? It's a souls game it, uh, it's hard. It's hard to play. Uh, it's like, it's difficult. Uh, the world is like big and scary and like blah, blah, blah. It's dark fantasy stuff. I think the thing that maybe first start talking about is kind of the biggest thing that it's doing, so to speak, compared to the other games, which is this concept of like an open world. And this is like, I think it's, it's debatable a bit about if the previous souls games were an open world games, I think when we say open world, we're really like talking about like capital O capital W open world game as like a genre in and of itself, not just the concept of like a world without borders. So more in the sense that like, yes, in dark souls one, uh, maybe DS three, maybe Sekiro definitely sort of true with bloodborne. Like, and those games, yes, you can kind of sort of like go anywhere from the start if you know where to go and you can like survive long enough. Um, so that you're not like 
progression gated, like in a, like in halo or something where you have to like beat this before you go to the next area. Like you can just straight up run to the end of the game and stuff like the souls games. And so that technically is not necessarily uh, an innovation here. However, it is open world in the sense that it is trying to be an open world game in the way that um, something like, I mean, Horizon Forbidden West just came out, Breath of the Wild, uh, Assassin's Creed. It's like more playing in sort of that domain of an open world game. I think that that's maybe the first thing to talk about, which is like. It's more sandboxy. It's more sandboxy. Someone in the Discord sort of described it as um, a Dark Souls or like a Souls game that's just kind of like expanded and like stretched out. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm interested because Josh, you, you not actually a big souls person, but you did really like Sekiro. And I remember if you beat, you like got pretty far in Bloodborne, but I think this I beat is sort dark of, souls, dark souls and Sekiro are the only ones I beat. The other ones I played around 10 hours of each one. Yeah. So you play, you have enough mm-hmm. to have a reference point. Like I'm interested sort of yeah. in your, how do you feel about the open worldness of, of Elden Ring? Well, first of all, I'll say that. Elden Ring is more fun <laughs> to me than all of those games. It's more inviting. There's more about it to enjoy as I think a player of a video game. I the reason why I haven't beaten a lot of the Souls games is because it's so oppressive and intense yeah. and the difficulty isn't even necessarily part of that. I like, I know I can beat these games. It's not that I can't do that, but I, you know, I would get to a place like Blight Town, which is this notoriously <laughs> disgusting area in Dark Souls. Um, and I would just, you know, I'd get stuck there. I would get stuck on a part. I'd die a bunch of times. And I'm like, you know, I just don't, I think the critical, critical moment is when you put down the game and then you have to take the initiative to turn the game back on and dive back in. And when I would get to a part like that, I'm like, do I really want to experience <laughs> this? Just the, the, the sense of fear, the sense of, uh, I guess like difficulty having being presented with this seemingly insurmountable challenge, the disgust, the, just the, just all the anger, all the emotion. It's a lot to handle. And I think in the past <laughs> games, it, th- there was a lot, there weren't as many ways for you to escape yeah. that or there weren't many options uh if you did run into one of these moments yeah. there was nothing to kind of clear your head or like there was no escape from that and you know so even if you 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 went to your central hub world where you could go back to different places and you said maybe i'll grind and do the jrpg thing of just like grinding levels and coming back later when i'm stronger even if you were to try to do that you would invariably have to go back to something that was just like disgusting or like almost as difficult or almost as oppressive as what you were kind of facing before. So it never felt like you had any sort of escape from that. What Elden Ring does is it gives you that ability to go kind of somewhere else. If you want, if you Mm -hmm. get stuck on something, you can just go somewhere else. You could just explore something and you'll always have something new to uncover and you know, there's there's a high likelihood that you, there's another place that you would find that is just more 
a more pleasant space within which to exist. There's characters for you to find that will have valuable things to say. There are vistas for you to look at where you're not like in constant mortal danger. Um, And I think that variety within this game and the fact that a lot of it is so immediately accessible to you is what makes it, to me at least, a more inviting, more, quote, fun experience to actually play. Now, I I had this feeling with Sekiro too, I think, to a large extent. But, well, I I didn't feel like I had a lot of options in Sekiro, but I guess the thing Mm -hmm. that kept me playing that game was that the challenge was just, it was strictly about the boss in front of me and mm-hmm. the game took away a lot of the space between me and those bosses and it didn't make it as I guess gross for me to have to deal with that stuff I think the sense of motion and the fluidity of how you would get around the world just made me feel a lot more free made it feel a lot more pleasant for me to exist and like kind of ram my head against that same wall a hundred times than any of the other souls games have so I think Elden Ring combines that sense of kind of lightness that sense of Uh, with that sense that you're able to kind of escape when you are in a difficult situation that you don't want to deal with anymore. Yeah. I think like, especially I remember in, um, in Sekiro and Bloodborne, just because those are the most recent ones I've played. Like, uh, I mean, I I really want to drill in on this point. I think that like the difference between like an open world game and like a capital O, O capital W open world game, Cause mm-hmm. souls fans would be like, and people in their discord say this, like technically dark souls is an open world game. Yes. However, Elden ring is open world in kind of a different way. And the, the, the differences between these things are not like so rigid that it's very easy to have it. It's like a, it's a, it's a gradient. Right. But, um, in like Sekiro and bloodborne, like I remember specifically just cause they're again, the most recent ones I played, like I would get to a point where, I'd be like, all right, there's like kind of two open paths to me. And there's a really hard boss at the end of that one and a really hard boss at the end of that one. Mm-hmm. And like, there's no like, well, let me just turn around and go some other direction. It's like, you just got to get good enough to beat either of those. You just have to beat one of them. And there's no getting around that. I mean, again, you can run past it, but I'm not trying to do that. You have to beat one or the other. And I think in Elden Ring, like you get your ass handed to you with like, Magritte or whatever at the front of Stormvale and you just go a different direction. I do think, and I really want to talk about this maybe in a little bit that because of that, there are things that Elden Ring introduces as sort of problems to the souls formula um, and kind of moving this open world direction. But I do think, yeah, there's definitely in Elden Ring, like it's, it's sort of more accessible in a way because instead of having to just like get your ass beat over and over you can turn around and kind of go somewhere else. Granted, the world is still really difficult. So it's not like you're going to find stuff that's substantially easier. And even then the stuff that's easier is not necessarily going to give you a lot of reward. So you're going to kind of be in this like negative feedback cycle. That's not, not, it's not necessarily like the optimal thing to be doing, but there is a way where you're like, listen, I'm going to like, I know right now I can think of one boss, (laughs) the fucking crucible night where I'm just like, I'm going to come back to that later. Like I'm just not trying to do that right now. And that is not something that I can necessarily do uh, in other Souls games, really. Um, I, so I think I think that's cool. Night as well, yeah, yeah. I, I, one thing I want to take to about Sekiro that I think is sort of interesting um, in terms of like the ask. I think especially in Sekiro compared to uh, the Souls games and Bloodborne, 
it like basically totally gets rid of like most of your optionality from like a, a stats perspective. I think there's like a real way in Bloodborne and uh, actually is it even in case in, I think it is a thing in Bloodborne. I don't remember, but definitely in the Souls games, you have like 10 stats or so. And like you can allocate points to those stats and your weapons and your skills get better based on how you allocate those points. That is like mostly non-existent in Sekiro. So you're never running around finding these bosses in Sekiro wondering like, have I fucked up with my skill allocations? Because there's, you can't really mess up in Sekiro with that. You can, you can like, like I think Josh, you said it during the podcast when that, when the game first came out, you were like, you basically have enough at the start of the game to like beat the whole game. And that is like not the case for most people with the souls games where like, you can have a bad build. Like you can spec yourself the wrong way and put yourself in a hole with your stats that makes it really like makes it like exponentially harder for you to to do something than if you were to sort of spec correctly. And I think that reducing that and kind of getting rid of that is one of the beauties of Sekiro where it's like no, like you have everything you need right now to do this. And Elden Ring as well as the other Souls games are like you probably don't have what you need to do this right now. And like, yes, you can like do soul level one playthroughs where you're like really good and you can just kind of like wreck stuff. But um, that's like not the case for most people in these games. And like, you will just be in a better position if you have higher levels, better gear, whatever. So Elden Ring kind of, again, moves away from the Sekiro model, I think for good reason, but also that's, I think, what makes Sekiro in a way, <laughs> even though it's really hard in other ways, it makes it more approachable in some ways. Cause it's like, listen, you don't have to, that part of you that says I'm not like configured correctly is just not there. Uh, which I think is gives people that sense of like, I can do this because I have the right build. I have the right skills. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think the compound effect of a lot of this stuff is something that we talked about in the last episode or whatever episode, I think we talked about Sekido recently. I think this was the last episode, but um, yeah, talked about how that experience felt more authored to me yeah. than a lot of the older Souls game. And I want to kind of expand on what I mean by that because I think that Elden Ring takes it to even the next step of what an authored Souls game might feel like, which is to say Beyond that- Sekiro, you think that really? Yeah. I actually, okay. I really okay. do. Okay. So what I mean by authored is that I guess it feels like there's more intent that is baked into the experience or that there's a lot more to be read into. There's a lot less room for interpretation. There's a lot more like this is what this game means. Um, still a lot mm-hmm. less of that mm-hmm. than you would find in the average video game. But I think that the overall, the series is inching more and more towards something that is a bit less open to interpretation that has a bit more like baked in meaning a bit more subtext that is easier to read into and less stuff that is just like vague and for you to kind of sit there and think about the implications of over a longer period of time. Maybe just um, more characters, right? Like just per like, yeah, NPCs I mean, that's part Souls of it. game have been like non existent. I mean, there's, there's been people, but like there's a lot more characters kind of running around in Elden Ring. But this is the thing about, um, the original Dark Souls and I guess Demon Souls by extension is that these games had this sense, there was a lot of empty space in those games, a lot mm-hmm. of room for interpretation. Um, 
And it wasn't just in the way that the lore that they offered you. It wasn't just that there was like gaps in the storytelling. It was in the way that the world itself was designed, right? Like you would be in some massive fortress or some massive um, circuit of underground caves or some huge castle. Uh, and you could kind of look out and see this world beyond you, but you couldn't visit it. It was like these pre-baked, you know, backgrounds that you could kind of look yeah. out on and be like, I wonder what this world used to be. Or like you'd be in a cavern and some spider lived there or something. You'd be like, what the hell was this spider? Like, how did they play into the larger lore of this th story? And these were all questions that you had that were very, I guess, clear and very much set in front of you. And there were these unknowable aspects about the game where you could, you know, sit there and really figure out like where all these different storylines go. And you could watch these, you know, 30 episode series of videos <laughs> on YouTube that would like the story, the lore of Dark Souls explained. But even then it wouldn't be like a full story top to bottom with all these themes and whatnot. And I think part of the experience of those games was supposed to be, hey, you're not go you're never going to know everything that there is to know about these games. And that's what provides all of those worlds with their mystique. The the mm -hmm. fact that you couldn't go everywhere on the map, that that you could look at a building that was, you know, beyond the scope of where you were able to travel and wonder what that was. Um there was a lot more of those in the earlier Souls games, I would say. And in Sekiro, it was like the they, limitations of like the, the format, like yes, moving into narrative necessity, which to say felt like, very purposeful yeah. even for the time because they were coming. It's not like they couldn't do an open world at that time. It's not like those didn't exist at the time. Like 2010 Red Dead Redemption mm -hmm. was already out. So mm -hmm. it's like, it's not that the open world was not an option for them. It was that by restricting the scope of the game, they were able to tell a, a story that felt like there was more to be, there was more that was beyond human understanding or like more well, than you could like possibly the, ever understand. The structure of like souls and like the, especially dark souls and like demon souls to an extent was like the world had like already happened. I think that the difference between those and like Elden ring is that like history is sort of happening right now in the scope of the story of Elden Ring. And in like all the Souls games prior, it's like in Orlando used to be this beautiful city or like the king used to exist and it's a ruined world or whatever, like very like ruins core or something. Yeah, I think that yeah, the, yeah. There is a, some of that stuff still in Elden Ring, but I think that now there's so much more of an active sense of like, things are happening right now and you're sort of partaking in them um, yes. as they kind of happen and unfold. It, it's one step toward yeah. the, the world being a whole place. I, it's it, not like it's, it's still Quest. not there. It's still definitely <laughs> <Yeah>. ruins porn. <laughs> still lots of it, ruins. Yes, but it, it feel you're right. It does feel like a step or two more toward a, a living space. I think also the stuff that got like kind of lost in translation, a lot of the stuff that felt extremely not localized that felt very like a foreigner's take like someone who's not mm. a, a westerner's take on western culture was very much a part of the original souls experiences like the the whole like the memes yeah. things like you defeated or whatever yeah 
Like when you there, kill a boss, still, it says like you stuff defeated. Here. But it, see, now it says like, like enemy felled, and it just it makes yeah. sense. It like makes sense to a, an English speaker. You know, it's not like a silly weird. But I think all of like those weird translations, the overuse of thine. Remember that <laughs> every yeah. Souls game, it was like thine place in the and it was like this is not how <laughs> western fantasy fiction really works but this is and it just makes it all feel really weird the monster yeah. design it there was all just so much there where you didn't you never felt like oh this this means this because i have this cultural knowledge i i, I guess because in fantasy in western fantasy we have these motifs and symbols that we know so like if you're looking at an elf you already know what the fucking elf is like you okay they're the ones who maybe there's some sort of like prejudice against them or maybe they're like <laughs> these really classy figures in the world elves, that live forever there's like the dwarves yeah. who are a bit more brash they live underground they do mining they do the like there's all sorts of different archetypes that exist in western fantasy that when they are put in front of us, we already know what to think. So there's already so much less space to do stuff there. But in front from soft stuff, there's like a fucking tortoise that looks like the Pope. There's a fucking yeah. like the dung eater that whose thing is like he just eats shit and stuff. Like it's stuff you've never seen before in these types of this type of media. And they still have that in Elden Ring, but some of it has taken steps toward that more that easier to read western that's them that's lore. that georgie e. martin that's touch, the man. george R. and that's why i want to talk about the george rr martin, R. R. martin stuff because <laughs> when george rr R. martin came up in the early discussions about this game it was like he could either have like a very terrible impact or it could just be that his name is stamped on it and he didn't do anything he like clearly didn't do anything i don't know if it's the george rr R. martin impact but this game feels a lot more localized. It feels a lot more like it's taken on aspects of Western fantasy. And there's a lot more stuff that feels familiar. For instance, all of the, the quote, good force in this game is called grace. Mm -hmm. um, so if, you know, how we used to have bonfires, now you have these like sites of grace, you quote, touch grace if in order to <laughs> like kind of rest and rest your soul. And it's this force in the world that you follow and is and is good and is bright and kind of embodies all of it, at, at least on its surface. That's what it does. You, you start, mm -hmm. it, the idea becomes a little bit complicated a little bit further down, um, as one might expect. I, I don't think that's much of a spoiler. But um, grace is so much more of a Western religious concept that, like, I don't know what would have really been in these games if it wasn't for someone like, George R. R. Martin, but like the way that the writing is in this game, so much more of it feels like something that you would read in one of his books, or that you might see in what's Game of Thrones. You know, this is what I sort of said this on the, the Discord as well, where I was like, it it feels like like if you ask sort of an art house director in the seventies to like make a Marvel movie, where there's like the thing I'll say about Elden Ring, despite the <laughs> despite the Martin touch, is uh there's still like some weird fucking shit in this game that I was like not expecting that. Like I definitely thought like we're watching the, someone play through the game a little bit on um, the YouTube video right now. Uh, and they're in Limgrave, um, which is the starting area. And it's kind of like fantasy. And like, I thought Elden Ring was going to be a lot of this. And I was like, I don't, I, I don't know. I come to dark souls cause it's like fucking weird. 
and like creepy and gross. And let me tell y'all, uh, this game's got a lot of that. Uh, I, I don't, I feel like in terms of, we should talk about spoilers real fast. This is not a spoiler cast. So you feel free to listen safely. I think that we'll probably talk mostly about stuff in Limgrave. I don't want to get too far out of yeah, there. Yeah. Um, but rest assured y'all, there's some like bloodborne ass shit in this game that is uh fucking wild. And I am so heartened to see it. Cause I, cause I, I'm with you, Josh. Like I saw some of this stuff and like part of the reason I was not excited about this game when it was like first coming out was I was like, it just looks like a boring fantasy game. Like they got the fucking most like white nerd boy approved writer to come write a fantasy story for a game that I didn't think needed any sort of help with the story to come write some boring ass fantasy dark souls game. And like there is that stuff. And then I feel like when George R. R. Martin is not looking, Miyazaki and his crew went and did their thing and made the game fucking weird. But I, uh, there are definitely parts of it where there's like, I think this sort of gets a little bit of the like ease of approachness is that you're no longer like collecting souls. You're collecting runes. The good yeah. stuff is called grace. It's not called like arcane. Like there's a knight in a castle that you have to go kill. And like, the framing I think at a baseline is exactly what you're talking about where it's got this like way more um, like affinity for a Western audience, especially not to say these games are not are made for the West, but that there's like the indicators of like, like, Hey, can you help me make sort of Arthurian fantasy is like there. And that that sort of mm-hmm. baseline was definitely never there before, maybe with like dark souls two a little bit, but like, the game like one and three and bloodborne are like not that at all. So, but they complicate it pretty quickly. All of this is to, I mean, I don't want it to come off as if I'm saying that this game is like a totally Westernized version. And I'm like, I know you're not saying that, but I don't, uh, Mm -hmm. I don't want it to come off that way to to the listener either, because this is still very much souls. It's just that the writing feels like, as Kyle's saying, it just feels like the localization is a little bit more, um, it penetrates a bit deeper than it has in past games. And a lot of the stuff is like, someone will tell me something and I just understand it right away, <laughs> which is not something I'm used to experiencing in souls games. You'll talk to a character who's just like, you're just shooting the shit with a character and you're just like, Oh, that was a good conversation. That's not really something that happens in souls games yeah. up until this point. And yeah. it happens to me quite a bit in this game where someone will just like be, telling you lore just talking to you about lore and you'd be like and there's the option to ask more about lore and stuff like that it it feels more like a traditional video game the lore feels like it's framed in a bit more of a way that's easier to recognize for western audiences but it's still capable of those (laughs) surprises that a lot of from soft (laughs) stuff is there's some totally wild shit but what i have noticed playing over the course of the game I'm about 45 hours in I want to say um is there's it's a lot more accessible to engage with the stuff that in previous souls games you would have never been able to see unless you dedicated unless you were a souls head I mean like, I think one thing to one thing to say I think before you get into what you're about to say next is that this game is fucking big I think like Mm-hmm. Um, we are used to like kind of checkpoint open world stuff. And this game is like sort of that a little bit, but like 
they just made a fucking huge fantasy world with like secrets galore and stories and like tons of stuff in a way that I think, I mean, I said this at the start, this might be one of the best games ever. This, they did the thing that we talked about cyberpunk trying to do, which was like cyberpunk was like, we're going to make a whole city and that didn't really work out. This game was like, we're going to make a whole fantasy world. And most people say that and they don't, or they cut a lot of corners. Like this cuts no corners uh, as far as I can tell so far. Um, and in fact, it like not only doesn't cut corners, it makes new corners for itself in fucking crazy ways. Uh, Let's talk about like, that a little bit more but, because... But, yeah, yeah. Or you went to, I was, I was just going to preface that to say what you were about to say, where it was like more accessible. So I think my only point to that, to that was that like, it's more accessible in the, in the sense that like, it is hard to not play this game and uh, not run into like random cool shit. I think there's a way yes. in like the souls games before where like you have to do the right thing to get the cool stuff. And yeah. in this game, you can just sort of stumble around and have a good time. Yeah. That was my, sorry. That was my, extended no, no, no. to the notion of accessibility. Totally. I mean, it feels much more like Breath of the Wild in that way where it's just like yeah. everything is. And what's interesting is there's something to be said about the design, which is that it doesn't feel like the game is super like packed, jam-packed, which is random shit. It, yeah. There's a good amount of empty space in this game to the point where some of it feels like almost jarringly like Shadow of the colossus where you're just mm-hmm. riding a horse around a really big field and like, Oh, this is really pretty. But then you'll kind of stumble across something that's like a little weird and then you dig further into it and it's just, it unravels into this huge thing to experience that is just something totally different than what you were expecting. There's a lot of really cheeky stuff. There's a lot of from soft uh, shenanigans <laughs> where they're fucking with you. Um, it does feel like Hidetaka Miyazaki is laughing at me a lot when I'm playing this game. Yeah. Uh, and FromSoft is just like messing with your head. But what I wanted to talk about with the the way that the world looks and the design and the, the corners that it's not cutting, we got to talk about the art design, uh, mm. the, the art direction, and just the way that this game looks because it's something that I it's, has gotten lost in the fact that I've played this game so much, but there is no game that has come closer to looking like art than this. Yeah, I think that the... Um I think the sort of initial uh, like promotional screenshots and videos of this game really didn't do this game any favors in this regard where a lot of the initial stuff you see is this like big fucking like holographic looking tree in the background, which looks gaudy as hell. And don't worry, it never stops looking gaudy as hell. It's like ridiculous the whole time. Um, But like, it's this like weird, like oversaturated blue and purple thing to like contrast the tree. And it looks like, bad but then the game like the game does this like very sort of aggressive like almost like world of warcraft style like zone and color shifting where you'll like be playing and it'll be like that sort of weird like purple blue yellow thing but then it will like switch and then you get some of this like painting shit where like they turn on the right tone mapping and you're like whoa this looks really good (laughs) and it's like kind of staggering because it especially about that initial stuff, it doesn't really realize it's going to be like a very pretty game. Um, but then you get to these points, like Josh is pulling up some, uh, it looks like sort of impressionist paintings, uh, some There's pastoral like Baroque landscape art. It's and got it's this, just, like, this is like exactly what this game looks like. 
Like it yeah, looks like they some, pulled like, up real nice, nice shit stuff and like let's make a game look like this. It's got this dreamy quality. It does this thing where I think that um this is like sort of technical, but like in games, um if something is uh if something exists and you can see it, there's light on it. So there's never any like you can't have like like black or like really dark elements in a game without having some light source. So like imagine you have a light source in, in like a scene or a painting or whatever for something to be sort of seen at all in the scope of a video game, you have to have a light on it. What this typically means is that like the dark black colors in video games are often like washed out because of the way that they do their like lighting. And like this game is so good at doing very dark colors with a lot of nuance that I think gives this whole image, this like painting contrast style where like, the darks are like very dark, but you can still resolve detail. Like walking into a cave in this game, like it feels dark. Like you walk into a fucking cave in Skyrim and it's like still kind of bright or whatever. Like you can go in a cave in this game and it's like a dark ass cave. And I think that something about like that kind of weaves into what you're talking about, Josh, where just like the way they're able to sort of pull contrast out of the landscape gives it this sort of like painterly quality. Yeah, like right here, you're just in fucking dark. Like it gives it this sort of painterly quality that makes the whole game have this like impressionistic feel, which is like truly like really pretty. Like it looks really good, especially like in contrast to like the fucking like rainbow throw up of like Horizon Forbidden West and Zero Dawn. Like those games are just like explosive bright colors, which is like great in its own way. But there's like a subtlety to the way this game looks that makes like every single shot just be like, damn, this is kind of pretty. Like, this is like, this looks good. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's art. It it really evokes that sense that it's at least taken inspiration from like oil paintings and yeah. art. And, and it's not like it just tried to make, it, they just put an effect on everything that made it look like an oil painting, which is what a lot of games do. Where it's like, oh, let's make it look like it's smudging oil as if there was actually made from oil paint. <laughs> it's like, no, what if we tried to actually emulate the artistic details of what an oil painting landscape is trying to capture? And that is just so much more compelling to me. But yeah, I mean, if you just look at how art direction in video games has worked over the past couple of decades too, we had the whole everything is brown Mm-hmm. issue with art where it was like this is gross this every why is every game so brown and just disgusting and then as a response they were just like let's just make everything colorful and you get like rage yeah. too that's just like brown but with like a bunch of neon purple everywhere randomly and then horizon zero dawn where it's like everything is just cloyingly oversaturated this yeah. is just what if we just tried to make the whole world look is look like something that a Baroque artist might have conceived or tried to depict. And the entire world is created with that. And that's, that to me is one of the things that keeps me coming back to this game is that sense of just seeing these new landscapes and having something to kind of peel back and look even deeper into there. Uh, because it is, it is gorgeous. It's a gorgeous game. Um, it reminds me too of like some of the, um, some of the stuff that we talked about with like breath of the wild when it did first come out, which is a bit remember the time we started the podcast, um, kind of like talking about how 
Breath of the Wild was really exceptional, obviously in a lot of different ways. One of the main ones being that um, it sort of like took these kind of barely alluded to concepts and uh, like, like in, in previous Zelda games, like Hyrule Field and like the, you know, Zora's Domain or whatever, which on like Game Boy or like the NES or even Ocarina of Time are like small rooms. And what it does is actually like, no, Zoro's domain is like fucking giant waterfall Canyon with this like beautiful, like it, it, like it kind of took these concepts and sort of brought them to like an actual interesting narrative point. Um, it was sorry. And man manifested in the world, like to the scale, like death mountain is a fucking mountain. It mm. is a giant, huge volcanic mountain in breath of the wild. And that is not the case in previous Zelda games, but you, you're kind of led to believe it is. I think that, sort of in in line with the sort of aesthetic is something that Elden Ring does, which is take sort of similar fantasy concepts and like actually give you kind of like a, oh, you've always thought about, you know, this sort of fantasy style thing. Like, well, what if that's just a thing? Like the whole first fucking main area, Stormvale Castle is like, you want to go fucking run around a big ass fantasy castle. That's like, uh, a real castle and it's like the whole situation that you can go explore and whatever. Um, do you want to go? I don't, don't want to say anymore cause there's a lot of other stuff like that. It's sort of spoilery, but like but it still has what's nice about that too, is that it's not, you're not just looking at that stuff. Like there's still just so much weird shit to be encountered in those spaces that you would just never conceive. Yeah. yeah. Of. And they, they like, I think they sort of like subvert it as well where they're like, they're like, it's a souls game. They're not just going to give you like, <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> like yeah. fucking Godric, right? Like you're not just going to get like some like corrupted knight. There like is most just games would some, stop at corrupted knight and they would just, but this game goes much there's further. There's just some truly demented shit in this game. Yeah. And I think it's sort of, it's cool where they just like show, like they just take these sort of concepts that other games, like I'm even thinking of like, I was playing the Witcher three for a little bit before I started playing Sekiro and now playing Elden Ring and even like the Witcher three for like, as much as it's like acclaimed, like you're at the castle in like Vizima and you get the like courtyard and like a few rooms, um, leading up to, uh, wherever the fuck I forget the like the Nilfgaardian, uh, prince is like there or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's like sort of a castle, but it's mostly just a lot of big rooms. This is like, no, it's a fucking castle. Like Stormvale castle is as big as like, two or three standard souls areas. Like it is a fucking huge castle that you have to like run around and fight stuff in. And there's other, there are parts that you like can't get to or whatever, but most of the stuff that you can see, like you can get to, and it is like huge and big. And there's like servants quarters and there's like a chef's room where they presumably they prepare the food. And there's like a church on the grounds and there's like battlements and there's like all the stuff like Elden ring kind of, is the first game that I've really played that really teases that stuff out to say like, okay, well like we're in a fantasy world and we're, we're, we're operating at a certain scale. So if we're operating at the scale and the world is explorable, we're going to give you all of these things, um, which is just sort of fucking insane. All that to say too, I think that sort of is it marries really well with the sense of aesthetics where they're really kind of channeling this. Yeah. Like Renaissance Baroque kind of vibe for the art that is typically depicted these like sorts of scenes and legends. So just say like, yeah, you can, that painting that you really like that shows this kind of crazy 
like castle on a hill, like that is a place you can go to, to the point literally inside of uh, Elden Ring, there's like Breath of the Wild style, uh, like memory, like there's basically paintings in the game. This is not really a spoiler that there you are, that you like get the art of, and you have to go like find the area that looks like the painting. So even just from that perspective, right. They, there's a sort of reflexive understanding of, Hey, our game looks like a painting to the extent that we are literally going to have paintings in game of our world that you have to go see and like line up. Yeah. Um, there's also a horse in this game, which <laughs> we talked about this with Sekiro too, but, um, that game like introduced this sense of verticality and movement that was executed so well. It was like, okay, y'all just decided let's make a a game that feels Mm -hmm. totally different than our previous games. And it's going to be splendid. It's going to feel just as good. And the horseback stuff in this is same where it's like, how did you kill it? So it feels so good. It's like, it's staggering how good the horse feels in this game. I think in part, because like, it's not really, I mean, it's not a real horse in multiple senses. It is neither a, uh, real like horse that is like, it's just like a spectral steed or something, but also the way the horse controls is like very unrealistic in some ways. Um, it's very tight. Yeah. It's not like a red dead horse where, yeah, no, it's not like driving a fucking boat. Like you're, (laughs) you're on this thing, but it's so good, right? Like, to not have to micromanage where your horse is at. You just summon it and then you pop off of it makes you engage with the horse mechanics so much more. I'm like a fucking brain broke gamer. So I am like so scared to like get on a horse and run across an open world because I know there's going to be stuff that I miss. So it works perfectly for me who wants to get on a horse ride for like five seconds, then get off again. And the fact there's like almost no friction between those two moments is like lovely. It's exactly what I need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, there's just cool characters to encounter. Um, really interesting side stuff that is very, it's very clearly presented in front of you to a surprising extent where I'm just like, oh, this is, I get to engage with a side quest in it in a FromSoft game. And I'm, I don't have to yeah. like find some NPC behind 10 hidden walls in quick succession. Like, what is this? I'm able to see side characters stories to through to their logical conclusion without having to look in a strategy guide, which yeah. is just really cool. And I also have a weirdly strong sense of place and direction in this game, despite the fact that it's so huge. Mm-hmm. I can kind of think about a, a character that I met 10 hours ago and be like, Oh, I know they're over here. And I could like know the closest site of grace. I I, I could, I can almost think of the entire map in my head without like referring back to it. Um, this is the thing. Like, I feel like this game feels like so much of a place. Yeah. I think that it's weird because even in something like breath of the wild, like, or other open world genre games, like the worlds are so like designed where they're like, there's some like cuteness to them that like makes them feel like these little like play palaces or whatever. And something about like Elden Ring feels like totally organic. And obviously it's like a design space, but it's not like it, it, it just feels like a place. And so you're like, Oh yeah, that the guy that sells the weapons is over there next to that shack. 
And I remember going there because I was passing by like this cliff face on the way to this castle. And like, it just kind of loops in your brain and, it, yeah. and it's distinct enough too, where it's not like, Oh, what was like the one, like, I think red dead has this problem a little bit where like a lot of the landscape is very similar. So it's sort of hard to have like spatial mappings of places in your head to places that are in the game. This like Elden ring is like, in some ways the landscape is like very unnatural, like the way the formations of like the land and geologic stuff works, but it's enough to the point where it feels like a real sort of place that makes it easier to just remember shit. You're like, Oh yeah, I could like, you can like plot me somewhere in Limgrave and I would know how to get to any one point based on where I'm at because of the geography of the place, which is like fucking crazy. Honestly, like that's not an easy thing to do and to have, done that is like i mean it's incredible it really i think is. there's a lot to be said as well for the way that it soulsifies spaces um mm-hmm. when you experience trauma or <laughs> <laughs> any sort of adversity it's the much easier to remember <laughs> like the spaces in which those things occurred i think that's true yeah and it's like this, the opening field of Limgrave. It's like, that's where I fought the tree sentinel or, oh, this, this field is where this group of enemies was that I died to like twice. Or this is where I fought those little weird monkey guys who jumped out of a bush and one shot me. Or like, this is where I fought that crazy dragon. And they are able to correlate these massive spaces with these creatures. Um, that you either ha- you have to deal with in some way, whether you sneak by them or you ride around them or whatever it is, you have a sense of what that space is because you can, your brain automatically associates the danger there with that space. And I think that's helping me to get a better sense of what's in an area. But it also mm-hmm. has this in this added neat effect, which is one of the cooler, I think, um, parts of the loop within souls games that this game has a little bit of an extra kind of spice added to it, which is the feeling of when you beat uh, a specific enemy that is patrolling a space or something. And when you beat that enemy and you're able to just freely explore that area is one of the best feelings in a souls game. Cause you're like, I know that there's some fucking treats in this church. Or I know that there's some cool shit in this area that I'm, I wasn't able to look around before because there was this big scary guy, but now I can because I killed it. I got strong enough to kill it. And every area is filled with its own rewards that you, once you kill the thing that was guarding it, you can kind of just freely explore. And it be every area becomes its own prepackaged experience because... yeah it has that arc, that little storyline within the space. Yeah. Like there's like, there's like, there's meaning to every space is sort of what you're saying. Like, I think that there are places that are like kind of what you were describing earlier in the podcast about big open spaces, but you don't get like Skyrim or Morrowind style, big open spaces because it's hard to make content. I think that when you get those spaces in Elden Ring, like there's sort of this like thematic meaning to them as open spaces that is, again, not like a cut corner because as much as there might be open space, there's also stuff that's like very dense. 
So I think that what happens is that like I'm halfway through to a quarter of the way through the a, a second zone, but most of my time in the game, I'm like, I think I just cracked 30 hours. I spent like 20 hours just in Limgrave, like just kind of running around. And like, I think I've done most everything in there, but like at first glance, you can kind of run from like the Southern part to the Northern part of Limgrave. And like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, maybe, maybe like 10 minutes, just if you're on horseback, mm-hmm. but like, there's like 20 hours worth of shit, just like inside that area, which oh, is yeah. staggering Easily. and huge. And like, kind of insane. But I think that like, what that means is that like, like there's so there's like so few places in the game where you aren't having like some meaningful interaction or discovery or battle or something such to the, to, like, to the point that like no exploration feels like it's just exploring or, well, I mean, it is exploring, but it's never kind of unproductive. I think like breath of the wild is an amazing game. I love that game. I did love the fact that around every kind of hidden corner was like a Korok seed and they kind of anticipated that. But I think even beyond that, like I can't remember in Breath of the Wild where like every Korok seed is at, but I know for certain where crazy places I got to just in Limgrave and Elden Ring were because I got something that was like an Ash of War, which was like could totally change your weapon style. I got a cool new weapon. There was a cool boss. Like, in terms of the stuff they give you as a reward for exploration, there are so few places where it doesn't feel meaningful to just fucking scrape or like kind of comb through every area, almost like you're a search party, like, cause there's just so much stuff everywhere. And that kind of like rep, like repetition of like motion across like the face of a geography, like it kind of encodes into your mind, right? Like you're, you're remembering what the space is and where all these things are at because so much of the place has been kind of imbued with meaning that comes from discovery or challenge or trauma. Like there's just so much stuff there where like, even now, as I'm saying this, I can, I feel like I could like draw a map of Limgrave from my memory and show you like, Oh, this is where this person's at. This is where this battle is. This is where this mine's at. This Mm -hmm. is where this catacomb's at. This is where like, I just know it in my head now. And what's cool about that. And the last thing I'll say on this point is that like, there are like sort of souls, like classic souls style, like loop, loop paths that kind of loop back on each other, especially in places like Stormvale. But for the most part, this is an open world. So like, you're not going to get a lot of that sort of like, oh shit, I like mentally connected these pathways in my mind to like a physical space, which was such a huge part of Dark Souls, which was like, oh, the, all these, the space interconnected. And I kind of like understand this how to traverse this space because of the way it connects to itself. I think that same sort of outcome is manifested in Elden Ring, but instead of doing this sort of like looping level design structure, it it comes down to the fact where like they put stuff everywhere so that the whole space becomes meaningful and like you remember it, um, which was such a huge thing in like the Souls games. So they're able to kind of apply that same final outcome, but to a uh, kind of world and like map design that in some ways is like antithetical to what they were really good at um, or what they mean, what they still are good at, which was this sort of like looping level design structure. Uh, that is, it is really impressive to me that they were able to translate that in such a mm-hmm. massive way. Like I still get that sense after so much time playing this game that I, I can, every area that I go to, I can kind of remember almost like the back of my hand after only having gone through it one time. 
and a lot of it is because it's just such an intense space in which to exist. <laughs> I think Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild, for instance, it's like so much of that game is about the journey and the experience of traveling and getting somewhere else. Like you get that, um, the the glider and stuff. Yeah. And you have a horse and it's about going from place to place and taking this grand journey and the sense of scale is kind of what's amazing about it. There's not as much detail when you really drill in, but yeah, this yeah. game feels like every challenge has just some novel weird thing about it, some quirk to it that is just really memorable and it feels packed to the brim with that sort of creative um, juice. Which it's like so, it's so dense. I read somewhere that they've been working on this since they were working on, so they were working on this while they were working on Sekiro. Mm. And I think that like the answer is that they've just been working on this for a super long time. Like you just don't, I feel like you just cannot get this density of stuff in like a two or three year development timeline. Like this has been, it's, it's crazy. Like, <laughs> did you find, uh, this is not a spoiler. I'm just going to say a name. It's like Siofra, S-I-O-F-R-A. Yes, I did. The implications of that are wild. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> excuse me? Like, there's just stuff in this game where you're like, how is this game so big? And I think that like, that's like such a fucking gamer thing to talk about because it's like, everyone says they've got like the biggest game, but like really like you're just doing the same thing over and over and over. In Elden Ring, you are still fighting stuff, but the nature of what you're doing and how the fight is happening is like changing sort of pretty fundamentally, like pretty consistently. That is just like, I just, I'm just like in awe. I'm like, this game is so big and it's, it's so consistently good. And the tone is so perfectly nailed consistently that it is just crazy to play. It's like, they just did it. They like, they fucking nailed it. This is, this is like a 10 out of 10 game. Like there's so little wrong with this game. And even what is wrong is like so minor or whatever that it like doesn't fucking matter. It's like they, they fucking nailed it. Like they, I can't imagine a version of this game that is better than what it is right now. Yeah. It's fucking um, nuts. I know that it's the discussion about difficulty is trad. I know <laughs> that it's annoying to have to talk about this, but there's been a lot of discussion about accessibility in this game recently. And I'm like, I want to talk about really quickly the the differences between difficulty and accessibility because I feel like there's been a weird conflation of those things where people talk about accessibility in this game. And I'm just like, what are we talking about here anymore even? what is Why are we talking about accessibility with regards to Elden Ring? Are we talking about like colorblind options? Are we talking about input options and whatnot? Like, yeah, there's like, there's like a conflation between like accessibility features, like remapping controls and colorblind modes and that with like accessibility. Being able to pause, I think is something, is something that people into. are talking about yeah, as an accessibility issue. And it's like, first off, we have this tendency, especially in American society, right now to talk about um just products as if i i guess that we talk about like the game not having a pause button as if it's just like profoundly like cruel to people who need the ability to pause a game which okay i i agree like it's probably somewhat there's definitely some 
lack of consideration there. There's probably something about that that is like rude and or like offensive to people who like for whom a pause function is would really, really make the play experience a lot more doable because they have some sort of, I don't know whether they have some sort of condition or something that makes it so that pause would like be really helpful for them. But I think there's like, there's definitely a line between that and just being like a terrible person's game. Like you're a terrible person for enjoying this game or like the people (laughs) who made this are like total assholes or something. Mm -hmm. I guess something I would compare this to is like I was at a Japanese restaurant last night with a friend who's gluten free and it was like, I thought it was a shop, it was a shabu shabu place. And I was like, oh, let's go to this place. Cause yeah, like gluten free, like shabu shabu, just like putting some meat in mm-hmm. a pot. Except it turned out like every sauce had gluten. Most of the broths, yeah. even the like pork based broth had gluten in it. It was just like mm-hmm. nuts. And it was just like, I don't think there were assholes because there was no gluten free option. And like, they probably could have done more to consider those types of guests. But there's like a line between that and like making an essay about why Japanese restaurants have accessibility issues or something like that. (laughs) You know, I think there's like, I think it's like you can, I think along the lines of like that sort of accessibility, like there's stuff that, could be done. Like, I think there are like, especially I think something like Forza that like it's crazy sort of accessible. I mean, crazy good accessibility options is like really great. But I also think that a lot of that stuff like sort of does come down to genre. Like, you know what else doesn't have pause online matches in call of duty, like every single multiplayer first person shooter, you cannot pause when you're playing online. That is the same case with Elden ring. It is an online game. So I mean, you can turn the online off. Should you be able to pause? You're not online. Sure. Whatever. But I think that there's a, there's a way where there's like a, it, it could be a lot better. And I do think that like stuff like that would go really far, but also, yeah, like, I don't know. I understand that complaining about this stuff is a way to get those changes to happen. But I also think there is like some of that stuff sort of dips into like authorship and like the the ability and like the the mystique of a kind of a persistent world is like part of the vibe of the game i've i don't think that like also like what i will say too on the note of pausing like you can't pause during a boss battle whatever but like there are plenty of places in the game where you can just go hang out for a second if you have to like do something i think like not being able to to pause in crucial moments is like annoying but also like if you are someone who's played souls games or like someone who is like mad about this in souls games and don't understand, let me tell you dying doesn't matter, especially in Elden ring. Like you couldn't pause and you died. It's probably okay. Like you can go get your souls again and then run out there and then go do pick up the thing that you were doing. I think that like, I, I feel like you're alluding to some discourse that I haven't been totally privy to, um, but for better or for worse, but I definitely think that when it comes to stuff like accessibility, like it would be nice to have more features and games to make it more available to other people. But it is also weird right now because like that sort of discourse morphing with the like just normal difficulty slash accessibility or ease of playing a game for new people discourse that dogs every souls game, that stuff is kind of like merging. I think yeah, in part because I... of the fact that like the like, 
I, I said this on the, the discord as well, where like, I think people like fell for the Elden ring meme or like, they're like, Oh, it's the easier souls game or whatever. Kind of the same way. Like I bought monster hunter. Cause people were like, this is the good one. And I played it. And I was like, still fucking monster hunter. Like it's still like, this is still a souls game. Right. Like, and I think people kind of bought it expecting like not that stuff. And it's like, sorry, like this is, it's still the thing that it is on the box. Like it's not, I think even like the reports of this game being easier are much exaggerated. Well, um, I think it's be- like, because I mean, it, it goes the opposite way too, which is that we have talked about it as being more accessible, this game, because yeah. you can experience more of it without having to resort to things like strategy guides and stuff like that. So I guess it, it's almost, it makes sense that it would come back to bite you in the ass and for it to be like, well, this game still isn't accessible because the first boss is so hard to beat, you know? And it's like, yeah. Well, like, let's take a step back because that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about accessibility. And yeah, I just, I think we should take care not to conflate those two things. And yeah, I I do think that there should be more accessibility features in games straight up and there should be some in this game too. But if it doesn't have those features, it's just a game that's like missing features and you can criticize it for that. But I, I don't know like how far that should reach, like what, how, how far that extends, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's, it's, it's kind of yeah. a weird thing, but yeah, it's like, I think that there are definitely, I mean, I think that generally like, how do you approach Like, I think something like Forza makes a lot of sense for having a lot of accessibility features because of the nature of the type of game that is it's on a track uh, I guess, well, Horizon's not quite on a track, but it's like you're driving around a car and the actual points of interaction are really low. You basically have a gas wheel and uh, a, like a driving stick, you know, the left analog stick. Like so much of this game is about very precise execution on a controller with like a lot of different configurations where like the accessibility, like the sort of accessibility angle for that type of gameplay is kind of like a genre, it had to be like a genre reinvention. Now, I think that someone like FromSoft could potentially be like up to the task for that. And I think that actually something like Sekiro is maybe a little bit more sort of accessible in that way. In the sense that the actual execution stuff is like a little, the timing still really matters, but like in like this game, right? Like every sort of button performs a very crucial function for how you operate your character. And I think that like, if we want to talk about accessibility in Souls games, like I think you have to sort of start there. And I'm not totally sure that like FromSoft is willing to sacrifice kind of like character fidelity of action for like a simplified control set or Sekiro is as far as they'll go in that angle. But also like, I don't know, it's a, it's a hard problem. I, and I, I do feel for people who want to engage with these games, but are blocked out because of accessibility features on that end. I think that I'm not talking about people who are mad because the games are hard. I think that like, yeah, if you have a really hard problem with like dexterous maneuvering of your fingers, but you really want to like explore a dark fantasy world, like it sucks. You can't play these games and it sucks. There's not a good answer for that. But also I don't think that like FromSoft is like, you know, the worst person in the world because that stuff doesn't exist. The easy thing or like the access, the accessibility via gameplay, I think is a different conversation. We should, we could talk about a little bit. I don't know um, what the, um, the right, like stances here. I don't know where the correct position to to have myself is here because I also think it's obnoxious when people are like, that's 
that's what Souls is all about. Like, is that it's hard. Yeah. Like, that's the whole point of the game, man. And you're, like, messing up. Asking for an easy mode is, like, asking for the fucking, hit, like, you know, Picasso to change his, what his art Yeah, like, that's like. bullshit. Like, I think this sort of idea that, like, these games have to be this way. I think that, like, FromSoft especially has even just inside the scope of the games they've done, they've shown that they are down for like pretty big changes. Well, stuff. like there's no, there wep- there's this, no weapon durability, right? Like that's a big did deal. Did you read that Simon Parkin essay? Like, I think there was some interview that I saw where he, where Miyazaki he was talking about like, yeah, how I, he doesn't think that the game should be made any easier. So it looks like it's something that he's, they're not willing to really compromise on, which I don't know. It's like, I'm not mad about that. I also don't see right, what so the big just to be deal clear, you're talking about accessibility from like a ease of ease of um, gameplay difficulty angle. <laughs> We've moved on from like hard to control and like no pause menu. And now you're talking about, I mean, about- for me, it's like, it's self evident that like you could always have more accessibility issue or accessibility yes. options on that front. I agree. And I, yeah. I, I wouldn't budge on that. I wouldn't say like, the game should never try to cater to people who have different needs based Mm -hmm. on that stuff. I just think that the argument has taken this weirdly disingenuous turn where it's becoming more like if the game's not easy, then it's not considerate toward people who have those types of issues with playing the game. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. As opposed to the real conversation, which is just like the game is not easy enough for some people, which is worth discussing also but i think is not like you're not that conversation should not take place in the same terms on which a conversation about missing those types of you know features about quote real accessibility are concerned with one thing i want to talk about though is that like this game kind of does have an easy mode or at least an easier mode which is that like you just fucking walk around and do stuff that's not fighting a boss for like a few more hours. A, I want to, I want to just interrupt you because I asked, I prompted our discord for some questions. Cause I told me we're recording about Elden, Elden ring. So I want to, I want to, we can talk about what you're about to talk about yeah. through the lens of these questions. Cause it's relevant. Yeah. Someone asks, is this game too big? And they also asked, is this the most accessible souls game? <laughs> so uh, just to start answering some questions, I think that what you're talking about. So you're saying like, there's a way that a game has an easy mode, which is just turn around and go somewhere else. Yes. Yeah. I, I think I feel like the difficulty curve is like, it's a cliff. If you go to the difficulty cliff, but you can just like walk up the backside of the difficulty hill. (laughs) That's totally an option. And you can always grind more and it'll, it will make, it will invariably make fights easier for you. I sort of like, so something related to this was something that we talked about uh, on the discord. Sorry to keep bringing that up, but if you join us, patreon.com slash bad end, we have a great discord. We talk about all sorts of stuff. Um, One big conversation we had was about the question I just prompted Josh with, which was that, is this game too big? I think that the game is not too big, but I do think, uh, I think jump lust was the person to say this on the discord that the sort of size of this game, I think introduces issues with the formula um, in a way that I think is both is like, I think it's aligned with what you're saying, Josh, about an easy mode, but my sort of like 
ungenerous opinion is that you got to kind of put your time in for a souls game. <clears throat> you got to like, you got to get good. You have to like learn what boss movement is. You have to sort of, you have to like watch a boss and understand like movement patterns, the ways things move, understand that you're even looking for that at all. Understand like, um, just the way like a boss battle works and like understand how your stamina interacts with like your shielding and stuff. And I think there's a way where, yes, if, if you feel like something is too hard in this game, you can turn around, but like spoilers, you're going to run into something else that's really hard. And actually in some cases harder for different reasons. And I think like there's a way, like we were talking about dark souls one where in dark souls one, you sort of start and like the, I forget what it's called undead asylum. And then you kind of fight low level trash mobs leading up to the asylum demon. And you have to, you have to kill the asylum demon before you get to go to, um, I forget what it's called. Not the undead Berg. The like first bonfire in dark souls. Like you have to fight the asylum demon flat out. Like you just have to do that. And I think there's like something about that loop where like you, you, you're going to die to the asylum demon. Like you're going to die to that and you're going to respawn. And then you're going to work through again, the first six or seven skeletons, then fight the asylum demon again and probably die. And you kind of keep doing this pattern. And like, this is just the grind of dark souls. It's just getting your fucking ass beat until you realize what you're looking for. And I think there's a way where if you're not like brain broke, like I am against these games that you like get to someone like Magritte or you get to someone like the cat we were just showing on the YouTube video and you're like, fuck this. I'm going somewhere else, but you can't, you can't say fuck this. I'm going somewhere else to every single boss in the game. Like eventually you have to fight and beat one. Um, and by deferring that you sort of, I, I worry that, and I've seen this like happen on Twitter where people are just getting like so burned on the game because they're like, everything is hard and everything is difficult. And on one hand, I'm like that. Yeah, that's the thing. But also you have to like, you do have to learn how to do this thing. Like you can't take this like masterclass style cliff notes version of like playing a souls game and kind of like, just go get the best of stuff. Like if you're going to play it, like you can fight fucking Godric soldiers till the like sun goes down but eventually you do have to fight a boss. And what's I think hard about this game is that um, until you like just recognize that part of playing a souls game is just throwing yourself at a body and just dying a lot. Like you're not going to have a good time with this game. And I think that the other games that are sort of slightly more linear or much more linear than, than this game force that on you where they're like, you have to beat Gasconi. You just have to do it. And like, it's going to suck and it's going to be hard but like you're going to do it and you're going to feel great and you're going to feel more confident to move forward. And I think what's hard right now about Elden Ring is that like, if you don't already have that built in and know that that's the loop and you've heard based on our podcast talk that this game is more accessible, you go somewhere else. Like where the fuck are you going to go, Josh? You're going to go fight the dragon in the lake. You're going to go fight the cat in the catacombs. You're going to go fight the giants on the, like there's no, you can go like to the forest and fight Godric soldiers, but like, everything else around there is like really difficult. <laughs> there's just, there's so just some there's like, stuff there's that's like, like marginally more doable and some of yeah. which is like a lot more doable that will still yield you some sense of progress. But you're right that at some point you're going to hit a hard wall. 
And I think, but I, I want to use this, I guess, opportunity to kind of talk about what I think the kind of crux of the issue here is. And it it's this sort of center point for the difficulty conversation. And I think the artistic, the artistic, again, to say crux of what these games are doing is that Souls games in general and Elden Ring is no exception are primarily games that are meant to make you feel shitty. <laughs> and I don't or like this is I think this is feel great after feeling shitty. This is why it's <clears throat> these games are just simply not for everyone. Like people over exaggerate the feeling good part. Overcoming the challenge <laughs> shit. That's not what you're there for. You're you're it's fleeting. If you it's spend very fleeting. <laughs> people are like, "Oh yeah, I fought this boss for 5 hours and when I finally beat him, it made it all worth it." No, that's not what the fucking game is about. The boss is not about the 10 seconds of elation you feel you when you beat the boss. The game, these games are about making you feel hopeless. They're about making you feel gross. They're about feeling disgusting. They're about like making you fear what you do not know and what you haven't seen. Mm-hmm. And that what that's what makes them strong adventure games is that like you always fear what's around the corner instills that sense of trauma which allows you to memorize this world like the back of your hand and i think um when it comes to difficulty it's just that it's is fucking insane one, i'm like watching the youtube video right now when you said that and i know exactly where this person's at despite not watching this video for oh, the yeah, past 15 yeah. minutes yeah it's fucking crazy it's a, sorry an interesting thing but i mean the difficulty is one vehicle through which they instill that sense within you, mm-hmm. but the rest of the game works toward those same ends. And I, I don't think it benefits us to act like it doesn't because while this game does have a bit more, uh, I guess, pleasant of an environment, it's, it's easier to exist in this space. It, it's slightly less oppressive it still is like you are Why still always grave? on your way to something <laughs> that is going to make you feel shitty. Yeah. And you know it. You have this looming sense of dread inside you. And if you find that feeling to be unattractive, to be repulsive, to be something that you don't want to partake in, no tweak to the difficulty is going to change that. And yeah. I, again, I think that people, I think when people talk about difficulty in this game, that's ultimately what they're talking about is that feeling that like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. And at a certain point, mm-hmm. like you just have to say like, okay, that's it. There's no fucking pot of gold waiting for you around the corner. There's no beautiful game that you haven't, there's no bright and inviting world waiting for you around the corner if you could only beat this one hard boss no it's always going to be that that's what this whole game is about i think it's like it's like such a dumb thing i was talking to a friend of mine about this like i'm sort of anti summoning people for like boss fights i just like fucking get off on doing it myself because i'm weird like that but like the souls games are the only games where i like beat them and feel like I actually accomplished something and didn't just like do the right Skinner box. Right. Like there's like every single fucking video game. That's not a souls game. Like I would say almost unilaterally, like they are, they're designed for you to beat them and you are supposed to feel powerful as a player and you'll get through it and it'll be mostly fine. It might be hard at some points, but like you're going to do it and you'll be fine. And you're the victor and everyone loves you. 
like Dark Souls does not give a fuck about you. And I think it's sort of like cool that that's the case for these games where it's like, you want to go be a hero, go play fucking Dragon Age. Like you want to be a hero, go play the Witcher. You go be the big best boy or girl and like do your big adventure and everyone's going to love you. And these games are like, no, it's fucking hard. And like, you're going to get to the end of this game. Like you really fucking did something. Like maybe you spent 80 hours of your life sitting in front of a TV fighting like ones and zeros, but like it feels good to like beat these things. It's like shit. Like that was fucking hard. And it's like, I, I know it's like just a video game or whatever, but like you talk to someone else who's like progressed far in these games and there's like a real, I'm like getting chills talking about this. <laughs> Such a loser. Like there's a real sort of camaraderie. Like I met a friend at a party who had played Bloodborne and we were just like fucking shooting off about like these experiences we had in this incredibly difficult game, probably shared trauma. Like you're talking about of like these things that we did that were sort of like comparable to each other because we both got to a certain extent and I think that like, that's the power of these games. That's like why like the souls memes all hit so different because you're like, fuck, like, you know, the person who made that meme got like as far as you did such that like you have this sort of shared experience that feels unique because you know, not everyone can do it. Everyone gets the end of mass effect. It's not a hard thing to do. So like, just seeing like a meme at the end of mass effect is basically like saying, Oh, I played a game for 25 hours or something. Like you see a meme about like the end of dark souls and you're like, fuck that feels really meaningful because someone else was there and like went through all the same shit that I did and got their ass beat over and over and over enough that we can kind of have this like same experience and reflect and laugh on this thing that kind of happened at the end. And like, I'm sort of with Miyazaki, like you make the games easier and like that goes away. You make the games easier and like, it's cool. It's like a fun story or whatever, but there's something about that, like actual struggle. That's like really hard. It presents like a real, as uh, it's, someone, like a real it's like a real challenge. As someone you know? who has not beaten a lot of these games and quit due to not wanting to fucking play this shit anymore. <laughs> It's not just that, like, we shouldn't make the game harder anymore. It's also, like, people should also just be okay, more okay with, like, not finishing a game or, like, not experiencing everything a game has to offer. And I feel like Elden Ring is offering that in a different way, which is, like, this game is so fucking (laughs) huge that, like, at a certain point, like, you should just be content with just seeing what parts of it that you want to see and letting the culture have those experiences at a larger level because that is where the meaning of these games comes from that's where the subtext comes from is having different stories to tell about how you experienced that thing and that's what's always been literary to me about these games is these spaces that you can never fill and which I talked about at the yeah. beginning of this episode with regards to what the worlds look like but it's also there in the difficulty too of like I'll, I've never beaten Souls, Dark Souls, but 
I know a lot about their worlds and the fact that I kind of learned them through this sort of secondhand primary sources of people who have beaten these games. And I've watched the videos of people who learned everything there is to learn about the lore, who wrote down all of the item descriptions and took everything that there was to know about them and applied them to what they gleaned from the environmental storytelling that they had seen. It makes the game bigger than what it is and it is what makes these games so special in large part do i think that that means that the difficulty is like there should never ever be a compromise on it not necessarily but at the same time it's like personally i think that it's like fine to just play a couple hours of one of these things and say you know it's not really for me and just enjoy it kind of secondhand through other people and take from these experiences what you will because there's still a lot there to see and that I think is especially the case with Elden Ring is one of the things that I'm really digging about this game mm-hmm. is like, I feel like I'm not, I do, I think I'm going to have a second playthrough, which personally kind of feels like a, a must if you want to see everything in this game. I don't know if I have a fucking second playthrough in, in me, but I also think that that's fine. And like, I think it would be cooler to have, to learn more about this game through my friends like this has been one of the biggest communal gaming experiences I've had since like Animal Crossing. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody is mm-hmm. coming to the Superculture slash Bad End Discord and talking about this thing. We're all thinking about it when we're not playing it. It's just that kind of game. Like it gets lodged into your head and you want to know more about its world and what's going on. And I think a lot of people I've noticed too are much more okay with people quote spoiling stuff about the game because it's like, I just want to talk about it. I want to hear more about it. I want to like experience more yeah. about it and talk about my experience in this world. And a lot of hearing about it from other people is like just as cool as experiencing it yourself, which I, which is not something I th- should, I would want to see as a negative thing. Like you don't need to be able to experience it all yourself. That's not really the point. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I'm not, I don't want to like swing a dick around being like, (laughs) you're just not good enough video games, bro. It's not, you know, there's some space in between there. And I think that souls like to get the most out of souls, it helps you to be okay with the way that you are going to experience souls to kind of mm-hmm. get that sense of confidence in how you're experiencing it. Not like you're getting the incorrect souls experience or what have you. Like I still feel fi- fine having not beaten dark souls. I will feel fine if I never beat dark souls in my life, despite how influential of a game it is. I feel like I've had a good experience and I've, I've played enough of that game to like feel comfortable in what I know yeah. about it. I don't, I don't feel like I need to beat the last boss to like be able to engage with the conversation or culture that surrounds that game. Because, because like yeah. it should, but it, on, on this, the other hand, it should be okay within the conversation to talk about this game as someone who like hasn't beaten it, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's about every way of interacting with the game is pretty, is valid, I would say. And, um, that, that's always been the case with Souls games. Like so many people don't beat these things. <laughs> And yet still talk about that. Yeah, like you look at the like fucking percentages of like PlayStation trophies and it's like 
oh, like I think it's like Bloodborne. It was like 30% of people beat Gascony. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, the first boss. That's like the first boss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think, I mean, I, so I think to your point, like, oh, I guess like something about like the, the difficulty of the games, I think is also a little bit overstated. Like, I think that if you come into a Dark Souls game and you're expecting to like fight a boss, like you're fighting, I don't know, fucking any, any like bullet sponge boss or sword sponge boss where you're like, just hit him a lot. Like you are going to lose. And I think that there's a way where that is sort of the default assumption people have. We're like, I got a big sword. I'm going to go fight somebody. And you go swing in their face and it's, everything feels random and you just die. And you're like, why the fuck did I die? And you go do it again. And you keep dying. I think the, I think the souls games, like in terms of the difficulty stuff, I think they often get a sort of bad rap because people will approach souls games. Like, and I'm bringing this up, right? Because of what we're talking about, people are like, dark souls is hard. It's so hard. And Miyazaki's like, I'm gonna make it, make it any easier. And so I think when people, people who don't play souls games, who I've described again, as like our brain broke like myself, like there's a way where you approach a dark souls battle when you start and you kind of approach it, like you would do any other fight and literally any other like 3d character action game or whatever. Um, where you like run up to them and kind of like swipe your sword at them or whatever. And you kind of expect them to die pretty soon uh, or pretty quickly, but like, and you don't, right. You get your ass beat, you get your ass beat like over and over and over and over and over. And then there's like kind of two ways you can interpret that. One is that like, these games are fucking hard. I knew it. Goodbye. Or you're like, surely something else is going on here. And then like, I think what you sort of realize with, dark souls and like people who play these games a lot know this. This is not news. Is that like every single boss and enemy has a sort of like rationality and like scoped move set that it is the, the onus that is on you to like understand and respond to almost more like a fighting game. So it's not some situation where like dark souls is hard because it's, the difficulty is impenetrable. Like I see people saying that and it's like, have you ever just put your shield up and like watched a boss? Because just doing that will make you like learn so much more quickly about how to approach something. And like almost I, I would, I would like gander to say that 99.9% .9 of every single boss I fought, I fought in dark souls obeys those rules or souls games obeys those rules. There are, there's almost no boss where that is not applicable to. So like the games are difficult. Yes, but they're difficult. Not because the games are unfair. I would say that the games are very rarely unfair. And when they are unfair, it's because they're trying to be funny. I think the souls games are some of the funniest games exist because they just do some stupid stuff. Sometimes where you have to, like you were describing earlier in the podcast, like Miyazaki is kind of like playing with you. Shit will happen. You're like, okay, yeah, you got me. That was pretty fucking funny. I died, whatever. Like debit death is sort of like the aesthetic of the game. It's not like a end state or something. And so I think the difficulty is like, there's this, you just have to, this is what we're talking about too. It's like the, you have to fight a boss. It's not that you have to just die consistently to a boss to like get it. You have to like, you have to fight a boss enough to understand that like, hey, they actually have a limited move set. They often will follow this action with this action. They often have moments of vulnerability between these two actions. And like the the game and like playing souls is playing, it's like is 
is understanding that dialogue and then executing on it really well and trying to make that happen. And I think that like not knowing that is where the sort of like difficulty, so to speak of dark souls comes in. I don't think that it's because these games are just like fucking hard and really annoying to play. Like there are some bosses that fucking suck to fight because the margin of error is so slim. That is totally true. But also those bosses are few and far between and are often the hardest bosses. People who are like dying to Magritte a lot. Magritte is hard, but also like Magritte has no attacks on his back telegraphs incredibly well and gives you a ton of time to respond to his actions. If you just try to run up to him and attack him, like you are going to die, uh, which is just the case um, with how most bosses in Dark you know what, Souls Kyle, work. Uh, I, I it's will just, not. Okay, it's, it's Mr. Not, I beat not, Margie on the third try. I'm not trying to do big dick energy about this. Like, I think it's just, there's like a, there's a way where these games are difficult, but so much of what makes them difficult is not like, uh, it's not about the act of like play. I think that people, people don't see the like other layer because it's so much other bullshit is on top of that. You get like, you know, sadness about dying, lost souls, weird story, you know, complex cultural legacy. That's kind of this thing on top. You kind of miss this undercurrent that if that thing wasn't there, like if the, if the actual like, rationality so to speak of enemies and bosses was not there these games would not be popular people would say fuck this i'm not going to play that the thing that is happening is that everyone who loves these games sees this kind of like under layer of the difficulty and that the purpose is not like i like playing games that are hard it's that i like understanding and kind of figuring out what's going on in encounter and then responding to it appropriately in order to beat a boss. And that's like, that's the beauty there. And like the kind of cloud of difficulty is what like covers that up and makes that part hard to pitch to someone. Cause like, okay, once you know that too, for bosses, like you can fucking dispatch bosses so fast, but we like need to stop the thing. acting as if there's like no quality. I, I get what you're saying, which is that like every boss, there's a way to be every boss in this game. Like there's a way to understand it. Yeah. And every boss is in a large way, a conversation with the people who made this game yeah. where it's like, and that's important to well, point out just at a baseline. I, like that is a, that is like, I think knowing that is sort of like that, that cliff of difficulty, right? Just recognizing that as the first step to say, I can do this. There's a way to beat this. Okay. Except but, for the crucible night. But <laughs> here's the, th- what happens after that? Okay. This is a conversation I want to have because you yes, a it's lot. a conversation <laughs> with, yeah, it's a conversation with the developer and it's like, okay, well there's this boss I know where, where he drags his sword a lot and yeah. he'll, usually that means he's about to attack you. So in response to, when a boss does something that tells you he's about to attack, you roll or you put, bring up your sword, yeah. except it doesn't mean he's about to attack. It means that he's going to just drag his sword on the ground for like three fucking seconds. And then the moment that you roll, he's going to attack the moment that you get out of your roll and you can't do anything else. So he can hit you exactly when you're vulnerable. So the people who made the game know that like, when the boss puts down his sword to drag it around that you're probably going to instinctively roll because when you think you're about to get attacked, you roll to try to dodge that Mm -hmm. attack. 
So they've made it so that if you do roll, he strikes you when you get back up. And a lot of these bosses in this game are programmed, very clearly programmed to only respond and do something if you have done, they're reactive. So I like they'll I, use certain moves in response to shit that you do. I disagree. I think the only, the only thing I think is programmed is that they will charge you sometimes when you're drinking from the flask. Not I, sometimes, I, all the time. And they will use gap closers. They'll, dude, there's times when you'll- There are gap closers, but that's and, not, I think that like there's not, I have not in my 30 something hours of playing seen a boss that responds to my state of my stamina. It's only ever- Not to your stamina, to, but to like whether you have rolled or attacked or something. No, like I just, it will I only totally go into disagree. a certain- I totally it's disagree. not a disagree. I'm correct. I, I 100% no, I just, guarantee you. I disagree, you man. I, I promise I disagree. Maybe, I, I, okay, to be clear, it's not something you disagree I've on. In, this I've exists in, in no, this dude, game. I'm dude. telling you, I've been if in. You, so I just, look, no, no, just, no, no, just, no, no. Just, if you walk thing, around a boss with the shield, they won't do shit to you. But if you go in and attack, they'll start attacking you in response. Because the moment you're attacking, I would agree to that. That would I agree but to. But it also extends like, to if you try to take advantage of one of their invincibility windows, they'll go into another attack that's like they'll take advantage of your of your windows. Is there anybody in Limgrave that you're thinking of? Um I, I'm I'm like I'm not I'm not even trying to be like a fucking edgelord here. Just between Limgrave and like I've been in Kaled to the right about like halfway. I don't feel like I've had a boss besides Crucible. Not Knight really. Not that really. That is like Okay, so maybe it's somewhere else because I would say that for most every boss, that is not the case for me. There, are, there is stuff that they'll like gap closers one hundred percent. If there's a big gap, uh, crucible night is like one is one. Crucible night is like that boss is bullshit. I would agree no, but that there's, there's other like bosses like that there. where they respond yeah. to your things that you I, do. I can I can totally concede that if it is somewhere that's not in Limgrave this could be the case but I would say that for most everything in Limgrave I've I would not say that that has yes out I to agree be true. with okay. most of the stuff in Limgrave but that's okay. literally the first area and I've been to quite a few more areas <laughs> yeah. besides that I've explored the lands betwixt quite well yes yeah. um but I, but I but I what I'll say though right is that the thing that you're talking about is what I think people assume that is really hard about dark souls. That is not at least right now, again, in Limgrave is like less the case. I think they're like bosses are meant to be kind of understood and responded to not just like attacked head on. Yes. As much power I as have, have encountered more of them outside of Limgrave, but yeah. it exists. And that's my ulti ultimately my point is this when, once you have had this conversation with the developers <laughs> of this game. Once you have, and this conversation is a long one, by the way. It's like, <laughs> oh, when this boss does this, I need to do this. And often the only way that you will find out, find that if then statement is to die to that boss. Yeah. And then to run back to that boss, fight them again, find out one more of those things, then you die. Yeah. Then you die on your way to the boss and you get even more <laughs> fucking pissed and then you die again. Then after this has happened for like, you know, 45 minutes, you get close enough to where you're about to kill the boss. You know all the answers, except you fuck up the input for one of the things 
and then you get screwed and then you're about to finish the boss and then they pull out some other move that you didn't even know that they fucking had (laughs) and then the boss goes into phase two and you realize the boss has a phase two yeah you're like okay you put (laughs) by the time you finish this process and beaten the boss yeah you feel good but you do this thing that you have to go through that process again. And that's why while the games are quote solvable, while they are doable and it's possible to make it so that that process is less grueling for yourself by like doing other stuff and coming back when you're at a higher level, which to me is the big reprieve about this game. It's still not exactly a fun conversation to want to have over and over and over again. Like something else there has to click for you. It clicked for me in Sekiro because it was very easy for me to get back to the boss. I always felt like it felt really good to execute well in that game in a way that it does not feel very satisfying for me to execute well in this game. Like in Sekiro, like parrying stuff and like just attacking nonstop and Mm -hmm. playing the game the way that the game wants you to play it just feels so good. Whereas in this game, I'm like, should I be using a better sword? Should I be fucking leveling up int inst- or dex yeah. instead of strength? Should I be doing this? There's so many things about this game that like make it, it waters down the experience of like just enjoying that back and forth conversation with boss fights. And um, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, we, we I got think like the, that, just chat. I think that shit is like the, um, that, that is like just the shit of like, that's just the muck. I think that like my, my kind of like prevailing, prevailing opinion about that part of like souls games is whatever the, what's the phrase? Like you shouldn't keep trying the same thing if you're expecting different results. Oh yeah. Like insanity I, I fi- is trying the same thing multiple times. Yeah. I think that like, results. I think that like there's a certain point where that's not true and you just, you do just need more information. Like, Oh, there's a second form. Like, and I think like for someone like, um, yeah, I beat Margaret in like three tries or whatever, but like I fucking died to Godric like 40 times. Like it was an insanely arduous fight for me. And I think that like, there was a point where like I knew everything and then like, I'm just like optimizing to just get like eights of his health down at different points so I can like do the right thing. And that it does get into like tedium. And I think there is a, there is a point with some of this stuff where you're just like, I got to take a break. Like I can't do this. You gotta go take like a game poop and then you come back and you like beat it in one try or whatever. Also, I'm just like, you can just my like, play style. Yeah. And this is across all games is I'm like, I'm, I'm not a tactical player. <laughs> Like in Valorant and stuff, I was always just like, I want to be the first one to run in and be aggro and just like do, (laughs) just have better aim than you and just like duke it out. In this game, I'm like, if the boss is just like walking around me with the shield up, I'm like, fuck, I'm going to attack you. Fuck you. And then I just get destroyed. And like, I can't play it that way. But that's kind of what I liked about Sekiro is that that game is very like, you need to be attacking all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's like perfect and then Josh if the Gordon. enemy is striking at you, you just parry them, and you you're 100 aggro until you need to like press block at the exact right time, and that's the correct play, way to play this game. Yeah, which is just like to me, it's just more fun. But this game is not that. It's like you need to 
walk around, circle this boss a hundred times, or survive its onslaught to the extent that you can. Or like you can do like that sort of play style you're talking about, but it's just a lot harder because you have to know a lot more. Like you could go like dual wheel daggers and just fucking go to town, but you got to be bouncing around the whole time. You need to dodge every single attack. Like Like you're a fucking glass cannon. And their moves are a lot less telegraphed in this game than they are in Sekido. Their moves are very hard to read in this game, dude. It's insane. I think the move sets in general are just bigger. The thing that like, I was fighting the fucking magma worm last night, which I don't think is really a spoiler. It's a fucking fantasy video game. Magma. And there's just like shit where, um, oh, I guess you don't know. Um, like I, this is like, if I have a complaint about this game that I was, I mentioned again on the discord, um, is that in dark souls one, especially like there, it was pretty clear that the enemies you would fight had like a stamina bar and it was invisible, but like they would do a certain number of attacks and like your attacks, they would run out of stamina. And when they ran out of stamina, it was like, okay, well I can attack them now because they have to like recharge their stamina bar. And if they attacked preemptively, they would then run out of stamina again and they'd still be weak. The souls games have kind of progressively gotten away from this where now I don't, I don't even know if it's a thing anymore, but like this dragon or like Godric, for example, or, I think Marguerite, maybe I don't really remember, but like they'll have like these big attacks. And so in like dark souls one, you could imagine someone's got like, they'd have this sequence where it's like, I'll do like a big attack and like a push forward with my ax and then a lift up and then like a pound. And you knew that like after they would do that, they'd be out of stamina. Cause that was a big kind of move chain and you could go in to attack them and kind of dodge around it. <clears throat> in Elden ring, like someone will do that thing. And you're like, cool, that's their big move. And you'll go in and try to attack them. But then sometimes they'll just do it again. And it's like, that they just have sucks. some like quick response move where if you get close to them, I've noticed that in they'll this like, game a lot. Yeah, they'll like some reflex of other shit where they, it's like, what the fuck? Like, that is yeah, not it's like- such bullshit, dude. Yeah. Like there's guys who will blow everything on like a- I've literally stood there just watching dudes just have like an eight hit rush where they're just sha, 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 sha. And then yeah. usually once they finish that thing, you're like, okay, now I hop in and get in two hits. But no, yep. you'll go in and like try to hit them and then they have this just fucking again. quick, immediate hit. And I'm like, that's not fucking fair, dude. <laughs> this is not That shit does seem Like the fucking worm has this thing where it like, throws magma around and kind of belly flops over the place. And like, I was fighting this fucking boss for like 30 or 40 minutes and it would like do its thing. And I like dodge it and like it would do its other stuff. And then like one time it just decided to do that. Oh, move, magma W Y R M. Yeah. It would just do that fucking move oh, wow, you're four times there? in a row. And I was like, what the fuck? Like that is not the contract we established. Like I beat that on the first try, by the way, I first yeah, shot it. That, but that's the that shit, right? Like the difficulty curve is all over the place, depending on your build. Like that shit is like, also, I'm, I think I'm probably fuck? a much was, higher level than you at this point. Yeah. But I was like that. I was like, that is like that, like that stuff is what annoys me in these games where bosses feel like they break their own rules. Like that's the stuff that makes me mad. Not the fact that like the game is hard it's when there's like shit like that, that feels like transgressive where it's like, okay, that's not fair because you established that you do this but thing. But that's the whole game is just like establishing precedence that, and then you, f- they fuck with your mind about it. That's that. Yeah. The more the game does that shit, the more I'm like, this is annoying because that makes it like, 
you can't plan against that. Like if I, if I can't know that once that boss does that ability, it's not going to have the ability to do that again for half a second afterwards. So I can't shield at the right time. Like I can't plan. Like I just, you can't play. And the thing I sort of find, started finding out with that boss was that like that move is sort of dependent at being a certain distance from the boss. So as long as I close distance, it would do that. Not as much. And the way I like, I basically, the, the time I did it four times in a row, I had happened to be at kind of like the right middle distance four times in a row so it could keep doing that attack. But still, it's just like, that's not fair, man. Like, that's not like, that's, you're breaking the rules that makes it a lot harder to respond to. And like, that's, when the game does more of that Dude, that's shit, the like crucible the Crucible Night. Night so yeah, I'm like, that. that's fucking annoying. Like, that Have is like not fun. you gone to a second fun. phase? Yes. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, it's like all of his, all of his windows and openings are like in when he used to have openings before he doesn't even stronger, faster attack during that window. It's like, I'm just like, I'm going to wait till I'm like 60 levels higher and just come beat your ass into the ground because this is like that. That's the shit that also makes me feel okay about cheesing other parts of the game. I'm like, I'm like, you're going to give me a lot. I'm going to give you a lot too. I'm going to go stand on that corner and cast magic at you, which I think is another key part of dark souls is that like, you got to cheat sometimes and that's like part of the game and you could feel okay about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have yeah. to think tact as tactically as possible and there's no, yeah. but that's, this is the other thing to me is like, I talked earlier about how every way of experiencing this game is valid and I will, yeah kind of reinforce that, which is to say that the first boss it puts in front of you is to many people, the hardest boss, which is Margit, who Kyle has been calling Magritte. I don't know how to say They never actually said the name. Margit sounds like a stupid name, but Margit. I guess that's it. Just like Elden Ring. Um, and that boss is like, I think you just, you just need to keep grinding before you determine when you'll face him. Like you could try to fight him at level 12 if you want. I fought him at like level 22 or something. And um, it's just like, how hard do you want the fight to be? Yeah. If you fight him when you're level 17, it will be a lot harder than if you fight him at level 22. Because that's, I mean, that's just how video games work in general. But, 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 I, but, I, you could be like level 30 something before you get to that boss because there's that much shit before before you go to him like well and also like i think the the sort of like the fallacy of dark souls is that the levels levels like matter to be clear but like they're less important i think than developed skill so like yes if you're 17 I did, I don't, and you come in at like 23 you'll be stronger which does matter, but you'll also be like five, six, seven, eight levels, just wiser about like how you can like knowing better the timing of your spell or like how long it takes you to raise your shield. And those like little improvements at like just playing a souls game better. Here's why you're wrong. Here's why you're wrong. (laughs) I think help you in those moments more than like plus 10 attack or something. The reason why I disagree with that is because if your health pool is twice as big, you have twice as much ability to block enemy hits. You do three times more damage. I, I can just sit there and like watch Marge, Marge, like 
do no. his attacks for a lot more time <laughs> when I have like two extra flasks on me and I have a much larger health pool and a lot more poise so that I can block more of his attacks than mm-hmm. if I'm like five levels lower and I can only afford to see one new piece of information every fight. And That's then true. if I'm, if my ability, even if my ability to address that stuff has not scaled, if my ability to get that information has scaled up and my ability to beat him in half the amount of hits or, you know, three quarters the amount of hits, that makes a huge difference in the amount of time that I need to spend facing this boss. Like it scales down the experience for you. And while you will still need to like execute to a certain extent, the hardest parts, which often involve getting information and whatnot, those things are made easier when you are at a higher level. And I think the rule of thumb in this game for me, I think you just need to set those rules of thumb for yourself and realize that there's like no wrong way to experience the game. That's why, that's why I'm saying this. It's like, it's perfectly legit. If you cheese margin, it's perfectly legit. If you decide not to use summons or if you decide to use two summons, it's perfectly legit. If you decide to face them at level 10 or level 22, you know, like the game is not Mm -hmm. telling you that there's a wrong way to do this. In fact, it's such a hard wall that I'm pretty sure it's suggesting that you leave and do other shit, you mm-hmm. know? Um, well, I think also like for as much as you might like feel like you're cheesing one boss, like the fucking deck collector is going to come later down the line and you're going to have to do something that you can't cheese. So I sort of like when I cheese bosses or enemies, sometimes I, <laughs> I sort of doing it knowing that I have the foundations where I'm like, I could fucking fight you with the sword and shield and I will do it, but I do not want to do that right now. So I will cheese the shit out of you with magic arrows. And then like you get to a boss where you just can't use magic and you're like, all right, time to like put the fucking work in and make sure I can still do it. I don't think it's like, I don't think I've been able to cheese any boss in this game so far. I haven't cheesed any bosses like, cause I haven't used, I guess it depends on what you, what you like consider cheese. Yeah. I mean, like horseback fighting is like kind of cheesy for some bosses. It's a little cheesy. Like, but I think that like, there's a certain point where you can't cheese every boss. And if you like, I, my bill is kind of fucked right now because everything in this game is really interesting. I'm like evenly spread between almost every stat besides like <laughs> fatality and endurance. <laughs> Cause I just like using everything. So like some bosses I'll fight with magic and other bosses I'm like sword and shield and some bosses I'll fucking two handed great sword. Nice that you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's just, it's fun to do that. And so I like, I like that play style for this game for whatever reason, whereas most games I've gone full sword and shield. But I think that like, you know, I can't cheese the magma worm because it's too fast for magic arrows and I just get fucking blasted because I have no magic resistance. So I have to like put in the time and like really learn how the movement set Did works. You use my yet? No, I went to Kaled. So I'm over in the East. That's so insane. Really? Kaled is so hard, dude. Oh yeah, I'm getting my ass beat. Kaled <laughs> is like Listen, if something has wings in this game, fucking run away. <laughs> that's Kaled is so hard. <laughs> like I beat all the Ryu Karia stuff and I went to Kaled and I'm like this shit's still way above my level. There's like I don't understand how people are going to Kaled second. I'm like I I'm definitely like wild. I'm I'm going to see 
I'm like making it work, but there's definitely like parts. There's like a, I found a fucking dungeon with a boss in it where I'm like, I can't fucking do this right now. <laughs> a lot so, of people are going to know, Caleb, might, man. Go to Raya Lucaria. Go to Raya Lucaria. I'm already so deep in Caleb though. I don't want to turn around and lose my, lose my point. You're going to go to Raya Lucaria and it's going to be like easy. It's going to be, it's fine. You need one shot everything. That's fine. I mean, I didn't have like a huge issue. I don't know. Like I'm, I've played enough of these games that like the challenge is nice. So like, I, I enjoy the challenge of it. Um, but the fucking the fucking birds and Caleb manner. That's that bloodborne shit. Um, do you want to, do you want to take some questions? We've been going for a while. Yeah. Um, I don't think the chat's just been talking, but nothing that I've seen any questions pop up. Yeah. We got broods talking about how he's movement queuing. He has very yeah. low vitality. So he gets one shot by pretty much every boss. I'm the same way. Bruce is not the way I want to play this fucking game. I, I need I put a, like if two I'm getting points into vitality, I'm getting pretty much two shot by everything. And I, I find that very annoying. Coconut talking got, about being kid. Yeah. What's up? Get, so someone in the discord asks about thoughts on the wider audience. And then someone actually broods in the, in the chat uh, asked on the discord is Elden's ring popularity. I can't. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rephrase this question. Did Elden Ring's popularity make it reach audiences that it won't resonate with, and cause the discourse to circle around the same topics they've deliberately chosen to not engage with? Yes. <laughs> I think this is like the the thing I was talking about earlier with like falling for the Elden Ring meme, where like I think this game was pitched. Some of the press beats were like it's more accessible, and like in some ways it is. Like I think that um, like Godric the fucking grace point is literally outside the boss store, which is bloodborne did that a little bit, but most souls games have like boss runs where you have to run through trash mobs to get to the boss. Most big bosses in Elden ring that I've encountered have grace points like right outside of them. So the loop of just getting to the boss is much smaller. And, but also like, Stuff like, um, we didn't talk about how when you defeat like packs of enemies in this game, your sort of vials refill or like your Estus flask and souls or whatever, which at first seems like a really big deal. And I don't know about you, Josh, but I've found that to be like spotty enough to just basically be like a nice bonus sometimes, but it's not some like major boon. Like it sort of feels like it's supposed to be. What's nice uh, for me is that like I have eight flasks. I'll have nine flasks now. So if I find a new grace site, I can unlock it without resting there so that I could like, if I want to go back and explore other areas and like double check to see if I missed anything, I don't have to worry that all of my other shit's respawning behind me. Oh, is that a thing that happens at nine flasks? No, no, no. It's just, it just feels like I have re- enough resources and I can replenish those resources without resting at a grace site. Cause usually to refill your flasks, you have to rest. Yeah. But do if you know I have to do that, well, if I take out a camp, it refills my flasks. Oh, sorry. I thought you were saying like, there's a way you can rest without resting. And I was like, what? well, but no, you can unlock, the, the pack a, thing. you can unlock a new grace site. Like yes. when you first touch it, you don't have to rest yeah. there. So right, you can right, 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 right. do that without, you know, it's yeah. especially helpful when you're in like a, a dungeon or whatever, and you just completed a big part and you just discovered a bonfire, but you 
you still have a, a good amount of flasks left. You can go back yeah. and explore the stuff that you already faced without having to re-kill stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just gives you a little bit more wiggle room without having to respawn guys. That's like the big thing for me, I've noticed. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, it comes down to it. Like, I think this is still a Souls game. I think honestly, like, I would still say that Bloodborne is like the easiest Souls game. Like, if, you, if you're if you someone who's listening to this podcast and this sounds like way too much for you, like, go play Bloodborne. Um, I think it's a way better introduction What uh, to this game. No it's, dude, it's not way. like, it's not, I'm not, I'm not even like trying to meme. I promise like there's just, you're, you're so powerful in Bloodborne, like at a baseline. I think it's like you, I think you'd Bloodborne be surprised. Bloodborne is if you went one back. of the most oppressive no. No, 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 no. ones. Like it's just disgusting, it's not, bro. It's not. You get like a, an disgusting. amazing parry off the bat. It's gross. No, I would I, say I like, will never to, figure out how to compare parry like, in these fucking games, except for second fucking Gascony to like Margit. Like that shit's like uncomparable. Gascony goes down way faster than Margit does for a new player. I think that like there's stuff that makes these games easier for a souls game, but it's more like efficiencies made for the souls formula. But like the game is still fucking difficult. Like it's not, like, I disagree. I beat Genichiro, I, I, I but like I died to fucking Godric like 40 times. <laughs> like it's not, but I don't think it's easier, go, I guess is what I'm saying. Did you do the castle Morn stuff? Morin? Morn. If you don't yeah, know what I'm talking about, grave. you didn't do it. You missed it. like five hours of stuff that was like that Limgrave, Limgrave, south of Limgrave. Oh, I haven't gone across that bridge yet. So it's stuff down there is easier than stuff in Limgrave. Mm. It's right. low. It's still, this is what I was surprised to me. I went down this place and was like, I'm killing everything down here in one shot. And I've only gone through the opening area, but it's like the companion opening area. There's like gotcha. twice. The opening area is twice as big as you think it is. But that's just, that's also fucked up though. Cause consider like, how like everything to the east of Limgrave is basically Kaled and you're gonna get fucked up. And then all the catacombs have bosses that are pretty difficult. I guess if you like thought to go south past the dragon, like that doesn't necessarily seem like the most obvious direction to go, but good to know. You should no go down there. Go you'll, you'll one shot everything. Just go, yeah, go fucking wreck everything. <laughs> I did that. that is, I, I got a lot a, of experience off of it and saw a lot of cool shit. That sounds cool. I'll check that out. Is it just like a little island or does it keep going? You have a lot. In, you got a lot of okay. stuff in store okay, for okay, you. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to go some more questions. Someone says, what's the most GRRM moment of the game for you so far? Josh? Hmm. What's the most Georgie, Georgie M's moment? I don't know. You might have to come back to me on this one. My answer is that the game is called fucking Elden Ring. Yeah, I mean, that's like, what we, we talked or about. Or the Finger Maidens? That feels like a George R. R. Martin. No, that original. feels like a FromSoft thing. That feels no, like the most like the FromSoft thing in the game. Maidens. Potentially. No, no maidens? You don't got a maiden? no maiden? No maiden? This boy, no maidens? Um, Someone asks, would it make for a fun MMO? I mean, it's it kind of, of is an MMO. MMO. Yeah, if you like summon your, it's like a small scale MMO. Just because like, like the so amount of friends. community, all the notes and stuff in this game that they leave are great. Mm -hmm. um, 
I do think they've like veered too far into shit posting. Like I, they, they were like sort of nice and like the souls games, but now everyone's just trying to make a funny joke. Fort comma night night. <laughs> Try fingers, butthole. Try fingers, butthole. Um, yeah. I, I think there's always been a lot of memes in these games. But also the further like, you get out from like the starting area, they kind of get better. That one, I mean, that one was, that's all time great. Praise the sun. There's a one in the very end of Bloodborne's DLC. Where it's One of the formats moon. in this one is like blank, ah, blank. And it's like yeah. the first thing was like when I first came out of the opening like dungeon or whatever, it's like, Elden Ring, ah, Elden Ring. <laughs> Praise the Elden Ring. Like everyone Ring. calls the turtles dogs. Every time there's a turtle, someone has a note near it that says dog. <laughs> I don't remember that. Oh, we had a question before, before uh, the stream got cut off. That was, um, is there anything about this game that feels distinctly Japanese from Roboku? Roboku. Mm. Roboku? I definitely cannot speak to that. I don't know if I could say what is distinctly Japanese as a white boy from I Georgia. I think <laughs> parts of it feel like distinctly Japanese game design stuff that you see as like being the cornerstone of a lot of like Japanese video games in the past, which is not to say it's like part of quote Japanese culture, but the way a lot of these games are designed, it feels very like systematic and arcadey in a way that a lot of other games, but I think this is all stuff that has been there throughout from soft and blood, uh, bloodborne slash souls history is that it feels very systemy? I, I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Like it feels very numbersy. Like the stats matter a lot, and it has like a. It feels a lot like a Kojima game in a lot of ways, and by extension, Breath of the Wild, both Japanese games, in that the interactions that you have with the world, a lot of them have to do with like the circumstances of physics, and um, they they're like the unexpected unexpected implications of the systems of like how these worlds work like with how if you're in a cave and you have like a scimitar that swings very widely you'll just like hit your sword against the wall and Mm -hmm. like not be able to hit so you need like a piercing weapon that's just that's a souls thing that's been around since like the beginning that Mm -hmm. feels like something that we've seen we saw a lot of in like breath of the wild for instance where like if you have a torch and it starts raining you won't be able to like use fire or like if you're climbing up the side of a wall and it starts raining you'll slip off and stuff like that just the chemistry engine stuff kojima games have a lot of that like part of what is fun and interesting is finding these interactions that you didn't know were there before and just tell you give you information about how these worlds work i think those feel like big parts of open world um, Japanese video game design where you discover the implications of the worlds that you're in as you're exploring them. And it adds like these little neat twists on the things that you're seeing. I've also sort of always said that the, like the souls games feel like the sort of Zelda for adults. Yeah. Like it, it's, there's a very, just generally like the lineage there is very similar. Um, and there's very like Metroidy type stuff. Like you get to a safe room and there's like a dude in there who t- there's like a fucking weird turtle who talks to you. Like yeah. a lot of stuff, like you might've seen a lot of this stuff on like the game boy or something, but like when it's brought into reality, it's just fucking weird. Like when you see it rendered this realistically in 3d, it's like disturbing. It takes on a whole different thing like basilisks. Okay. 
if you saw that on a I game, also, it would be like, totally normal. But seeing it portrayed this yeah. way is fucking weird, man. I think also there's something about the like, um, like a sort of fantasy narrative that eschews like Christological themes or oh, like yeah. Tolkien fantasy, like the ability for them to sort of paint a dark fantasy world that feels both like fantasy, but not like it owes some debt to Christianity or Tolkien or Gygax or anything. I think it's, I don't know if I'd say that's distinctly Japanese, but it's definitely like, it feels like something that someone is more able to create if they're not rooted in that culture and then yes. Western culture. Yes. Yeah, totally. A lot of this stuff feels like it has an interesting vantage point on Western culture because it's not from Western culture. And that's why a lot of the stuff, the design art design feels so like inspired and there's so, so much interesting stuff to mine within um, Elden Ring. I'll say some of the character designs of enemies in Kaled feel sort of Japanese-y. Um, like, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say what the stuff is, but I feel like there's stuff over there that I feel like I've seen in like weird woodblock print art or like, um, festival attire stuff. Yes. It's like not like the, the things with green heads. Those are definitely not a Western thing that feels very like don't someone not that. from America made that. But like, I guess what I was talking about with some of the other stuff is like one of the things you see pretty early in the game is like these there's graveyards and there's, yeah, there's skeletons that come out of the ground, but also there's jellyfish floating yeah. jellyfish <laughs> in the graveyards. Like that's just a thing in this game is like, Oh yeah. When you're at a graveyard, there's jellyfish in the sky. Well, and if it's you like, read the lore, the implication is that they're the bodies of the people who Godric crafted. Okay. But, but yeah, it's not, it's not just skeletons. It's like a Western <laughs> thing. But no. if you were playing like a Zelda game and there was like a weird graveyard, like on the Game Boy or something, and there was jellyfish in there, like you wouldn't think twice about it. Like it's, do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like this arcadey thing of yeah. like seeing jellyfish in a graveyard is not weird when you're seeing it rendered in like an arcade yeah. game or something, but they, they take these norms from these like old video game tropes and they plug them into this like really real realistic setting that is combined with this Western fantasy and lore that we often equate to, or at least put alongside sacred storytelling stuff that is very like religious has a lot of implications around like religion and stuff like that here. And it feels perverse as a result. A lot of yeah. stuff in these games has that. And I think that is somewhat of a Japanese thing because it's coming from that, that non-Western vantage point. Or sort of like the people say about like Rockstar making open world games about the like US. places in America yeah. where it's sort of like this fun house mirror of Western culture. Right. That, or American culture, excuse me. <clears throat> that's like not, that's like attached enough to be able to know how to represent it, but at a distance enough where it kind of like fucks with it. But I think, um, I, I do think that in souls games, it tends to work a little bit better because like you feel that sense of like sacrilege or something profoundly wrong happening because it's totally infringing upon stuff that you might consider to be part of Western tradition and just portraying things in such a different light that it feels uncomfortable. 
which I think is obviously the intent in a yeah. lot of cases. But yeah. even like George R.R. R. Martin can't touch upon in the same way, in nearly Finger as maybe. profound of a way, you know? Uh, Ed asks, do you think that if Roger Ebert were still alive today, he would think Elden Ring is art? No, I do not. No, <laughs> He'd be getting mad about the tutorial thing. But it definitely is uh, art. It's very art. It's very much art. IMO. Someone broods again asks, should a 10 out of 10 game be liked and played by all? Are too many new people playing a genre they don't enjoy because it's awarded so much praise? This is related to his other question. My, my opinion on this is actually that I think it takes, this might be a hot take. I think it takes genre knowledge of the game that you're giving a 10 out of 10 to, to give a game a 10 out of 10. Like, I don't think that someone who's really into prog rock is able to award a jazz album a 10 out of 10. I think that like, it's sort of like, you can maybe award a jazz album, uh, you know, an eight out of 10 or a nine out of 10. Cause it's like musically it, you know, you really kind of understand why it's good or I mean, or the opposite. It doesn't, a jazz musician is probably not necessarily equipped to rate a prog rock album, but someone who like really knows prog rock and like knows all of the touchstone points of like what something is doing, I think would know how to rate a prog rock album 10 out of 10. I think that this is sort of similar where like, I would not necessarily say that every 10 out of 10 game needs to be able to be played by everyone but I also think that that's okay. I think that also like a 10 out of 10 game is probably still for other people, like, you know, an eight or nine out of 10 or a seven out of 10 and worth playing. But I think to get that 10 out of 10, do you, have you seen that tweet? You, you gotta, you gotta know what's up. Have you seen that tweet? That's like, it's I've seen so many tweets guy who has only seen the boss baby watching his second movie. Oh yeah. Getting a lot of <laughs> boss baby vibes from this. <laughs> Yeah, it's like similar similar energy to to this. <laughs> That's such a good. I think tweet. like <laughs> getting a lot of boss baby vibes from this. Getting a lot of boss baby vibes. It's like from, it's like Robert when I Pattinson's hear the Batman. It's like when I hear fucking high schoolers. This is one of the best albums of all time, and like anyone who thinks differently is fucking crazy. Like. Not, it doesn't just have to be a high school kids because there's some high school kids who are very knowledgeable about music and stuff like that. But you get this a lot from video game people who are like, how can you possibly say that this isn't one of the greatest games of all time? And it's like, I know that that kid has only seen Boss Baby. Or like, I know that that kid has only fucking played Zelda. You know, you know, like, yeah, the amount of people who say that shit, who make like, superlative statements with extreme confidence like you know 90 percent of them ha have no experience with like the amount of shit that they should have experienced to feel comfortable with that shit you know which is why like when you start like getting more into criticism and you're like oh my god fucking this guy has seen like a million movies and he thinks this this movie is like not very good and so I would take that differently, but then you'll hear someone who's watched like four movies in their life say that this is the best movie they've ever fucking seen. And this critic vibes. is fucking stupid for saying that. I'm not saying someone's opinion is just automatically more legitimate if they've experienced more things, but I'm saying it's usually like, I usually am less likely to trust someone who has like no experience from that thing to like say the right thing about that. And I feel like usually the people who say shit about souls games and like not liking them is like 
why I have no incentive to like listen to your opinion about a Souls game if you are like not inclined to liking a Souls game. Not that your opinion's not fucking valuable. It's just that like you're literally incapable of seeing the things that are actually good about this game <laughs> because you don't want to. You don't, and that's fine. I'm not or like what's different. I'm not right? criticizing like I think that, that. Like it's someone might be like. Like I'm imagining the theoretical person that I think exists based on you saying that Bloodborne is the hardest Souls game that like gets a little further in Elden Ring than they did in Bloodborne. And they're like, this is the best Souls game because I got a little further and I see what's good about Souls games, even though all the things that I really like about Souls games have been present since Dark Souls 1. This is the best one. And I think that like I, a 10 out of 10 for anyone is like should be obviously very skeptical but let this be an endorsement from my 10 out of 10 giving that if Gareth and Reed weren't doing the superculture review on berserk right now, I would consider doing a superculture review about Elden ring because I think there's like after there's like a lot of stuff to talk about here. Like I think that there's, there's like a lot of uh, this game's really good as someone who has played most all the souls games. uh, I, this one's real good. I want to address the broods comment one more, just really quickly one more time. Cause I just came up with a thing, which is that I feel like we're, this is, we're in an era where we got to pass the banner. We got to move on from, I didn't like X thing that like everyone else liked as a, a popular opinion to have. <laughs> this has been like the prevailing thing for a very long time. For some reason where it's like, I what if we got the perspective of someone who didn't like this popular thing? And that's like the view from nowhere of like video games. It's valuable. I mean, it's like there's situations in which that is valuable and reasons for which that is valuable, but it's like, it's a conditional thing. Whereas I think that we have been too willing to accept that, like, not like having the opposite opinion of the popular opinion is just always the best thing to have. And with something like souls, right? It's like what I would liken it to something like a sport, like tennis or something. Like if I started getting really into tennis and I wanted to learn more about tennis, why would I want to listen to someone who doesn't like sports? Tell me what they think about <laughs> tennis when I am specifically interested in tennis and want to learn more about this sport. They don't have anything to offer me as someone who just got interested in this sport. Someone who has no interest in a game like Elden Ring because it is hard. It's like they have nothing to offer me as someone who is interested in this game in part because it is hard and challenging and miserable and ridiculous you know like someone was talking about this in the, in the questions about like um people not having interesting stuff to say about like Elden Ring in the reviews where they're like it's a souls game um and I think that like it's it's hard because you do kind of want someone to say like hey you probably shouldn't get into tennis if you don't like running around a lot in the sun and I think that like it's that position like I was actually I was like, uh, I was on Wirecutter the other day. The New York Times is like recommendation website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they like, they had a like sort of, should you play Elden Ring? And I was like, man, I want to know what the New York Times review section for dads has to say about, should you play Elden Ring? And it's basically like, unless you're already a gamer, probably not, <laughs> which I think is like sort of a valuable opinion, right? Because I think 
again, like I, I think people who fell for the Elden Ring meme is really kind of funny. Just watching people get their ass beat on Twitter and getting mad at souls games. Cause I'm like, yeah, this is all you fuckers who told me to buy monster hunter. This is what I felt. And you get to feel my pain. Cause I told you you should buy Elden Ring. <laughs> but I think that like, it's sort of nice to know if you're like a busy parent and like, I don't know, you're like trying to figure out what the next game you should buy is. And you got $60 to blow buying the one that is like, not going to be the fun, relaxing respite you hope from your like hard ass work day is like a good opinion to have. But I also don't think that that is like, I think like that characteristic of a review is like more of a recommendation. Yes or no thing versus the point of a, like someone who's reviewing a game for like a video games website. Who's like, I don't play souls games fucking sucked. Or like, this one's cool and I don't like Souls games. And as someone who like, maybe that is like a good gateway for people where they're like, oh, I can see how I can play this game. But for me, I'm like, I want to know someone who's played a lot of Dark Souls games who can give me the skinny. I mean, I was going to buy this game regardless, so it was never really a question, but. I, I mean, this, this sort of gets to a bigger fucking question. Yeah. I mean, right? it Which doesn't help like, if you, what is the purpose of criticism when you already sort of like, like, what am I looking for in an Elden Ring review as someone who like has played all these games already knows I'm going to like this. Like, is yes. a review meaningful for me in that moment? Like, I don't the, know. I mean, the, I think it's just maybe, the, like maybe. the first wave of video game criticism is like every, every video game is inherently good and we must accept that which was like the prevailing thing for a long time. Like every game's at least a 7.5. And then it's like, actually, no, like the more interesting to say, thing to say is every game is a 2.5. And it's like, no, like I think the most interesting <laughs> thing to say is like, here's the things that are, that are like good about this game and that suck about this game. And that every game has like those types of things going on. Um, but like th- it takes more than an observation of their mechanics to look at that type of stuff. Um, yeah. And, and it takes, but it also takes more than looking at like, it's just not for me, dude. Then one might think too. It's, it's not just about saying like, it's not good. It's also, it's just, it's like annoying that, I mean, I love the difficulty stuff, but it's also just sort of annoying because like these games are like, not just hard. Like, I think that they do some of the best video game storytelling, period. And what's really hard about this is that, like, that is behind this wall of difficulty that makes, like, the conversation around them just kind of, like, a lot of fucking try hard, get good people. And there's fewer people, I think, like us, who are, like, we want to talk about, like, the narrative implications of some of the crazy shit going on. It's, like, us and fucking YouTube theory heads. But, like, there's, like there's like so much stuff that happens in these games or like what I was saying about Bloodborne back when I was playing that, where I was like, there's so much crazy shit in the back half of Bloodborne that no one has talked about that I've seen anywhere. And I like looking at the fucking list of all the basically world bosses that you get in the round table. I'm like, all the memes are about Magritte, Margit and like Godric maybe. And that's like Stormvale. And that's like five hours of this. I don't know. 150 hour game like how re- it's 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 like a similar parallel issue to what you were talking about with final fantasy 14 on the goatee podcast where you're like i don't know how to explain to you 
how good this game is because the ask in order to get to this point where I'm telling you this is like the best game of the year is such a big thing to do. And I feel like there's a similar thing here for Elden Ring where I'm going to like beat Elden Ring to fucking completion, maybe. And I'm going to get to this point and say like, I want to talk to someone and tell them how good this stuff is. And it's so much more than Stormvale. But that's like, the, it's, it's so much bigger than that's that. That's part that's of like just the why difficulty. like I don't like the added accessibility of this game is like at some point you had to accept that like these games ended for you. Like at some point you had to say, okay, I'm not going to see everything there is to see in Dark Souls. And that happened like very quickly for some people. It happened right when they beat the last boss for some people. For some people, they saw it all. But like, it felt like you needed to watch the YouTube videos if you wanted to get a, a grip on what was actually going on. But in Elden Ring, like they make it feel like you could see it all if you just like put in the time. Yeah. And it wouldn't like cost you your soul to do that. It would just like cost you a lot of hours, but you wouldn't have to like (laughs) grind the same thing a thousand times, which is how it felt in Dark Souls for me at least. So it's dangerous for them to like dangle it in front of my face like that. I don't know if I like it, but it feels more doable, which is nice in a way. I think the increased optionality is definitely... Is a, is a nice improvement for people who share your mindset. Yeah, I agree. Like, I appreciate right now that I'm getting my ass beat in Kaled, and I could, like, just be like, you know what? This is too hard for me. I'm going to go over here where I know people are going instead. Yeah. Um, and that's, like, nice. Like, I think that there's a real, there's a real way where that could just become, like, fuck, like, I don't, I don't want to get good enough right now to be good at this which i could definitely see happening and like i mean there's a point in bloodborne where i got like i was basically stuck between two bosses and i was like both these bosses fucking suck to fight and i basically took a break for like three weeks because i was like i'm i don't want to fight i don't i don't want to do this right now it's too hard i can't do it and then i came back and did it in like one try but like it's like shit like that where being able to say like oh i don't want to do this And then, I mean, for better or worse, you know, you don't have to put the game down. You can go apparently to the south and Limgrave um, and go one-shot some stuff. So, Elder Ring's good. You want to end the podcast? Yeah. I've been running for a long-ass time. Been a a doozy of a podcast about one video game. Been a pod. Only for the the biggest game of the year, we give it the biggest podcast. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, this has been... Bad End Podcast, episode 113, the Elden Ring special. Thanks for joining us. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Bad End Podcast. You can email us at badendpod at gmail.com. You can subscribe to our Patreon, support us, get access to our Discord, uh, patreon.com slash badend. We invite you to rate us and review us on the podcast solution that you find us on (laughs) and um, check us out on YouTube. Toss us a subscription. Uh, If you're watching on YouTube, toss us a sub on podcast. Just help us help, help the growth a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Um, But yeah, thank you as always for joining us. We are super culture production. Check us out. Uh, And we'll see you in a couple of weeks later. See ya.